Nice TV. Oh, there we go. You want to thank you for the <laughs> get the new set. You want to do a show? Yeah, let's do a show. All right, let me see. It. Oh man, oh, what just God. happened? Well, obviously, cancel. Not a show. Here we go. A yeah. show's gonna happen. The show's canceled. There it is. It's a show. It's a real show, everybody. Hollywood Hotel. Good evening. So, loud. yeah, man, you got that cranked. Well, the problem is. All right, so there's a new there's a new setup. There's a new setup in Ben's room, also known as the studio, also known as where my kids watch TV. I don't think people understand how like it does. It's not going to affect the listener, but it will. It does affect the listener. I can't find anything. Well, no, that and the fact that like we're this is just different. We're not at a table. We're I'm like leaned back on a couch, like I'm. Some kind of savage on a vacation. No, of some kind. You're, this is. I'm trying to make it more comfortable. What are you talking about? We got rid of the card table from the 1950s, which I like it. Yeah, we'll little, try this. It's a little wobbly. We'll try this. If, if you start nodding off, yeah, you if start I start become, to fall asleep, we if you start to... Patrick Keening, you know I've, Keen's got that thing, right? We're just we're not as bad. He used to just fall asleep while you were talking to him. I have a just buddy who does off. that. He always just said he wasn't sleeping. He he would literally use the excuse, "I'm just resting my yeah, eyes." That's narcolepsy. But um, yeah, his dad had it too. Or has it is called narcolepsy. That's not the th- the thieving thing, right? I forget. No narcolepsy. Yeah, the thieving thing. There's one, uh, not epilepsy, but the other one where you steal stuff. There's a, there's another epsy, I think. Oh oh uh, no 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 no! You're a klepto- Cle- a cl- kleptomaniac. <laughs> kleptomaniac. Close enough. Yeah. Kleptomaniacy. Ipsy maniac. <laughs> Welcome I'm not to a Ho- doctor. Oh, I forgot. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin, and I'm John Huck. There we go. Okay. So. Uh, I like your shirt, buddy. Wrigley Field. Thank you. Um, it finally fits because you know all that exercising I've been doing. Yeah, you yeah, do. I'm going to continue to brag. You've been looking good. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I've been doing some core workout stuff, and um, you know, yeah. not I, eating. I, dude, I guarantee you have the worst dad workout. I don't. Do you work out down? We are working on also in the workout room. Why would you ask yeah. that question? There's so a you're workout on a ball. treadmill. Do you use the weights on the treadmill? Uh, no, that those weights have not been touched. Those have a lot of dust on You're them. You're like Bo Jackson. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going guns ablazing yet. I want to lose the weight, then I want to go guns ablazing. Because if I do both at the same time, I'm going to quit. Here's the deal. Because you get you sore. Never need to go guns ablazing. Do you know that? You're like a 40-something-year-old man with two kids. Just don't be a fat ass. But everyone's That's the best you can hope for in your in your in-shapeness. I'm going to disagree with you. Don't be a fat ass. I'm going to disagree with you, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to disagree with you. Because I, I drove that minivan for a couple years, and no one ever looked at me. When I say no one, I mean like anybody that mattered, like youth, women. No one cared about me when I was driving the minivan. So... Now that I now that I've upgraded myself with my my man Jeep, I, I have an arm that's up, and I want to make sure that that arm reflects the Jeep that I'm driving. I don't want like <laughs> well, a they fl- better shave it. I, I did, and I did, I can, trimmed can it. You get some I sort of it. maybe you get an arm. Uh, I maybe my- get that one cut off and get another one put on. By the way, I tr- so uh, the, uh, honest, honest. I trim my arm hairs because I fucking hate myself. So uh, no, you hate your arms. I hate my arms. You don't I hate, hate yourself, my, I, but I also but trim you don't- my. I trim, trim my chest. Hair. I trim my chest hair, and I trim my arm hair one day. And Elliot came home. Well, you got a haircut, huh, Dad? I go, no, no, I didn't. He goes, no, look at your arms. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And he was dead serious. <laughs> he noticed my arm hair, but he was dead serious. He but thinks the barber did that. He's like, you paid uh, fifty bucks for that. What's the extra on the that? The only reason why I feel bad about that is because now that he's noticed that defect in me, it's like he's going to think that's normal, and it's not even close to being normal. Well, well, the, you know what? I'm not a swimmer, thinks- and I'm not. A bike rider. I shouldn't be doing it. I do it because I can't. I hate myself. Well, if you were my a arms, swimmer, arms. You, if you were, if you just <clears throat> even if you're not a swimmer, if you get into a pool and you don't have your arms trimmed, don't that just doesn't that just float around? My leg hairs still do it. Yes, it's disgusting. Uh, it's disgusting. Uh, I always look like a dead body from Law and Order. The, <laughs> the um, 
Who's the corpse? Oh, that's my dad. But He's just swimming. The reason why, just so so that people understand, and if you want to... You know, <laughs> Everyone's you, like, we don't want to understand. No, you need to understand. The reason why I trim my chest and my arm hairs, and then we'll be done with this conversation, because it freaks me out, <laughs> is because I have Scottish body hair. Scottish body hair is very curly and very coarse, and then it bushes out. Like I don't have like kick-ass like George Clooney chest hair, where it like looks good, whatever you have on it. <laughs> it looks weird. It looks really. It looks like I'm growing carpet, like a weird, like cushy, wrong, like dead dog carpet on me. It just doesn't look right. So. Can you do me a favor and we'll never describe that again? Before you put this episode out, can you go back and lay bagpipes softly <laughs> under the? I have Scottish hair, and at the end, can you play Mel Gibson's Freedom Thing from Braveheart? No, maybe I'll play something from the movie Brave, which I believe is also okay. Great, so it's super close. <laughs> close enough. Uh, well, I think that was a Scottish thing. Uh, a couple of funny things I want to tell you real quick, and I know we need to get to uh, the stuff with, uh, big, we had some listeners. Big questions. show, big show. No, but it, these, you'll appreciate these. So yesterday I went to go pick up my son at elementary school, and he was playing football with his friends, and I was like, we got to go. So he threw me the football, and I had the football, and all the kids were like, because I coach football, they're like, Brian, Brian, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. And I was like, okay. And I rifled the ball at one oh, of the God. kids, not realizing he didn't know how to catch, and I hit uh. him. <laughs> I hit him square in the face. Oh, that's awesome. And he's just standing there. You know that thing where like he's questioning whether he needs to cry? What just happened? Is there a bone broken? Why did like, the man what? throw he doesn't the ball know. at me? Yeah. So I walked, I ran over, and I'm like, oh, buddy, um, we got a spider web, though. So like, I told him how to spider web a catch. He's like, oh, okay, because I'm trying to distract him. Like, if he starts crying, then I'm in trouble. Fun. Then you're like, I'm still... in trouble on the playground. Hey, old man, stop hurting the kids. I'm in trouble on the playground. So then I go, are you okay? He goes, well, you know. I'm like, okay, I'll tell you what. Let's get some water on that, some cold <laughs> water on, on the red stuff on <laughs> rub, your face. Rub some water and on I it. And I turned to Elliot. I'm like, Elliot, That's let's a... go. And we fucking took off. I didn't even want to stay around to get in trouble. I, was like, I felt like I was a teenager going to get in trouble. And then secondly. This, this I had never seen this before, and you can only see this in big cities. Dropping my other kid off at school this morning, and you know, like um, around the city, they've got those bins where you can donate like clothing and sure. toys and stuff like that. Yep. I saw a guy crawling out of it, <clears throat> emptying all the bags out. <laughs> was just, I had to double take because I had never seen anybody. You should have videotaped that. Crawling out. I mean, he was literally stealing all the donated yeah. items, which I was. But my guess is he's a homeless person, correct. and he also needs them and didn't want to wait correct. around for them. So to be. I'm not like heartbroken because I also saw a report that those are actually a scam. The ones, those bins that are around, are actually a scam. Those companies are. It's a multi-billion-dollar company that's that's ripping people off. So I'm not that exactly. Yeah, that look on your face says it all. I didn't know either, and there is a report on there. If you Google those bins, I don't know. How there's to a there's a total. <laughs> It's a total scam. Internet's a fan. So anyway, those are my two um, what the fuck stories from those uh, are, yesterday. Those are great. And today. Those are great. I don't. Uh... Oh, and and tomorrow um, we're going to celebrate um, John's bachelor party by having uh, by day drinking, which is I've never been to a daytime bachelor party, but this will be exciting. <clears throat> really, you've done some day drinking before, right? Uh, yeah, it's right. called watching sports. But my point right, exactly. is, I never, I had never been ahead of gathering That's outside what, of my house to go day drinking. Dude, Fultron was so funny. I was, I was, I after I talked, I texted you with you last night, and then I was at the, I went to the improv, and uh, I started texting Fultron. Turns out he was in the next room hosting the show, but um, he was like, "Dude, I would love to go, but." Day drinking, man. I can't look at myself in the mirror when I do it. So, wait a minute, so he says to me, "I'm in." You say it's. You give him a time frame, and he says, "I'm out." Yeah, he'll go. He's well. He said he goes if, go. you, if you can do it at night, and I go. Well, here's what we're gonna do: is we can close the blinds. The plan. <laughs> Let's go into this closet. It's real dark. <clears throat> Fun day drinking with everybody. Well, I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna hold out there until like 
six or seven, you know, and then maybe Uber it over to Dittman's Bar. Oh, okay, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Go get some fried chicken and drink there, okay. and that would I'll be skip where the fried chicken part because I've I've been exercising. That's doing true. Core, core workout but, stuff, but, but you might want to yeah. do a double before you go out that day and just have some. It was voted Crawford's fried chicken was voted second best fried chicken in all of Los Angeles by how many people? By everybody everywhere. Okay, it was a, they pulled <laughs> every classic LA they thing. pulled one thousand percent of the people in this city, and they all agreed that it is the second I, best. Dittman is a great guy, so I'm not slamming the place. I just no, 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 it was like LA Weekly or somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was a yeah. joke. So you, but but it, the, it is delicious fried chicken, and the beer is cheap, and the atmosphere you feel like you're at a, a just a sweet, clean dive bar in Montana. Here's the thing: I will get Matt to go because I'll explain to him a couple things. One, we're going to a bar, and most bars don't have windows, and there's a reason for that. So he's well, not going to have to bar, worry about that. And two, well, okay, this bar is Davy Wayne's. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I've been there with you. That's the night the, the dad's bar, right? The where it's you like walk your dad's in, garage. It's a seventy. It's a really cool. It's a seventies thematically. House. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you have you been to the Safe House in Milwaukee? Yes, that's an amazing. I love that bar. <laughs> yes, with those who don't Burt know, Reynolds it's like, thing in the. It's all. It's like a bunch of like magic-y, tricky stuff. It's yeah. really fun if you ever that's, go there. Yeah, so. it's. I used to do stand up there. They used to have a stand up. Really? Show. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't know that uh, when I first started. here was doing there. So um oh so anyway so we'll we'll, we'll definitely be reporting on what happened at. Um, uh, whether Matt went or not, and uh, and how our day drink. And, and also, I didn't tell families out of town. Like, so I can day drink. Oh, sweet! I yeah. I didn't tell. Like I invited a lot of people. Like I started inviting just other guys I know. <clears throat> I didn't lose my mind, but I was like, look, we're, I'm, we're, I, I kept telling people, I'm getting some people together for beers. Yeah. When I went out on my birthday this year, I just so look. There's a Dodger game on my birthday. So I was like, I started hitting people. Like, you want to go to the Dodger game on Monday night? You want to go to the Dodger game on Monday night? And then people who responded came to the Dodger game. Then when somebody's like, hey, man, happy birthday, by the way. Everyone's like, oh, it's your birthday? Why the fuck didn't you tell me it was your birthday? And then everyone's like, who didn't go to the game was like, why didn't you tell me it was your birthday? I'm like, "Because exactly because of this. I didn't want you to feel like you had to ditch whatever it was you were doing to come out with a 41-year-old man who's going to a baseball game for his birthday. So I was like... And eventually going to get arrested. So what, why would you... Exactly. But it's like, it's like, you should live your life. And if you can make it, you can make it. And that's how I feel about this thing. It's like, don't drop everything you're doing on a Saturday because I'm saying I'm having a bachelor party. But it's not like a bachelor party my whole fucking life has been a bachelor party it's like i did done whatever i want all the time so who cares my favorite thing is i told natalie yesterday Natalie, my wife who's never listened to the show i told her that um i said oh, I'm, I'm gonna put together a bachelor party for john and then five minutes later i'm like john took care of it so we're gonna have a bachelor party tomorrow <laughs> it was just easier for me to just go you want to go out for beers i just look like the laziest person on the planet oh, where i'm like dude. i yeah, I let the guy take care of his own stuff. So anyway, yeah. oh, so more importantly, I mean, and we'll we'll definitely recap this. But you said that uh, we have some listener questions. We, we do, we do. Can we, should we bring in our guests? I feel like it's a long time to not have our guests in. Yeah, do you want to do it at the end of the show, or do you want to do it before? Bring them I, in and I do it. What do you want to do? I it? think. I think no, not they, you guys. Not you guys. We're gonna bring you guys in. Bring, Thanks for coming. Let's wait till guys. We really well, appreciate you coming in. And hey, listening. Our guests are, and that's all the time we have. We like today. to thank our audience members. <laughs> Yeah, we'll bring in Andrew Hunt and uh, Ian Meering. Guys, you guys are you guys are officially in. I just I just let you in. Say hello to everybody. Good morning. Good morning. First time we've ever had two Thank guests you. at the same time. Yeah, this this is a first. Really? That one wasn't we've, a call in. We've never gone four. I was really um uh, I was really worried because I hadn't used the fourth mic in years. Uh. And so I was like, hey, what if this mic doesn't work? And then you guys got to share, and then it just goes ghetto, and then everything's wrong. Maybe then we just ask you to go outside and call in. Like it would have been weird. So that would have been hilarious. I, <laughs> 
stand out in the sun, call in, look at us inside, ask your questions, and we'll talk that way. Uh, what do you think about that, Ian? Hello, Ian? Ian? Can you hear me, guys? Yeah, exactly. No. We're here. Thanks, guys. It's great to be on your show. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. You guys sound really funny. So you're already leaving. Are you, are you leaving? Because that's kind of like an exit. Yeah. I thought you brought us in at the end. I thought thanks thanks so this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is only a 15-minute podcast. God, you know so. what? More people would listen if it was only 15 minutes. They'd be like, oh, that was easy. So John has never met you guys. So um, Andrew, well, I met Emmett Andrew through stand-up, and then Andrew, um, very early on in stand-up, turned to me and said, Brian, I'm going to go into uh, producing, and, and uh, I was like, okay, that's cool, and then he went into the worst kind of producing possible, and I was really proud of him. We've stayed in touch ever since then, <laughs> and I met Ian through Andrew, and these guys are like kind of inseparable. They became producing partners, and so like where one goes, the other one goes, and uh, and they're, they're a team of friends, and that makes it fun. Yeah, well, that, is that a fair? Is that a fair? And Ian, that, right? Fair, that's a fair. Brian. And we'll yeah. get in. I, 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 I'll get into your background a little bit later. But you guys, but you guys, we'll start here, John. Just so you know, and then we'll we'll kind of start. You guys are friends from childhood, though. We went. Absolutely. We met in high school. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you so, guys have known each other a long time. Yeah, but in and out, or always stayed in touch. Uh, always, always stayed, stayed in, in touch. You did, but you yeah. know, life is like in and out. You got to yeah. find your journey. He find you found your yeah. journey. A C- couple years off. Okay, but, you know, I, was I, that because of the drugs? Uh, well, no, the drugs brought us closer together. Okay, okay, good. That's great. John understands. As they do. They, they need to. But no, uh, we, you know, we just, like all people, had grown older, had, had gone down our own paths. Wait, all people grow older? Eventually. Not. Hold on, the helicopter's button. taking a... Cops, 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 cops. Hold this, hold Which this, Which one are they here for? Which one of you two are the cops here? They know, they know. So you, and um, you guys are not L.A.? You're, you're, where did you guys grow up? L.A. L.A.? L.A. proper or where exactly? I was born and raised in uh, Studio City, Sherman Oaks. Okay, and that and is that what is is that L.A. County or is that considered the city of Los Angeles? It's the Valley. The Valley. When so you're a Valley guy. When you're, when you're from L.A., you're like you know when you're raised here, you're either from the West Side or you're from the Valley. And okay. At that time, you know, in the '80s, the Valley was just uncool, man. Wait, no, was that that was the Valley that's, Girl that's movie, still, right? Uh, yeah. That still stems from. I think a lot of people still feel today. Like I don't have any. But I, I do hear like, oh, you live where? <laughs> the Valley? But isn't that Over where most hill. actors, yeah. new actors, when you move to town, that's where you move is the Valley, right? Well, because the rent Burbank. is cheaper. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, yeah. it's cheaper. There's more parking. It's, there's space. Like, I'm telling you, if I can get my brother to move back out here with his kid and his wife, we're gonna go, I'm going to buy a compound in, deep in the Valley. Couple houses. Listen, big, I grew up fence. in the valley. I I love the valley. I always <laughs> loved growing up in the valley. I never saw the problem with it. But did you? You, know. uh, you, you as well? Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up all over LA. So I'm like a, a born in Silver Lake, raised in Santa Monica, moved to the valley, lived in Malibu, lived as far south as Marina del Rey. Why? Why moving so much? Um, I think that's the LA story because it's like a kind of a pioneering. Like you go, you you move where the job is. So and, and then also I think in Andrew in my case is that we. Our parents moved us where we met was the ultimate suburb because our parents moved us away from all the bad school districts. That's what. Yeah, that's true. There's, I, I will say we. I'm kind of going through that whole thing right now. It's like where do you go? How do you shift? Where do you, where do you protect your kids the most? With that, so that's that's kind of part of the thing. So yeah, we, so we met Silver in Lake. How long did you live in Silver Lake, which is on my side of town? Okay, so I was born in Silver Lake. I went to preschool in Silver Lake. At Silver Lake itself, there's a little preschool down there on the water. Do you, you have, have any, did you have a mustache oh, when you were in preschool? Yes. What's the water that's now gone? But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a little co-op thing that's right behind a fence. There. That was that was there when you were a kid. That was there when I was a kid, and that's I went to amazing. school there. And the, I, okay. Do you, you the, memories? Kids, I have no memory. Yeah, I don't think. Sorry. So. All the kids wore skinny jeans. I have lots of memory. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Skinny jeans, they smoked beanies. They smoked beanies. They were created. So skinny jeans were created in Silver Lake. They were. They rolled their own cigs. Yeah, and berets. It was weird to see like kindergarten kids wearing berets. Yeah, scarves in the winter, scarves in the summertime. Yeah. So it sounds like you didn't. You, Silver Lake was a very short period of time of your life. It was uh, probably until I was about four. Okay. But made close friends. Yeah. Oh, that you really? <laughs> what? Not serious? Yeah, I'm sorry. You laugh. Like four kids years still old. hang out with friends. friends they know for from life. Yeah. Your kids are nine. Wait till they're thirty. Like what are you talking? Well, no, about? but they have memories of these kids now because they like it's one thing to go to preschool. Like I have no memory of the kids I went to preschool with because I never saw them again. So there's nothing there. But if you start with them and you grow up with them for the next six years, you're nine, ten. You're, I have memories. You're, now you know who they are. You're not going to forget them. Well, plus, memories yeah, not that kind. Not that kind. I, not I, that kind. I made out with all of them too. So oh, that that's helps. great. Well, it's, a it's real horny preschool. Los Angeles. Huh? You know, I mean, it all. Silver Lake, else. the orgy preschool, smoking beaties. We were ahead of <laughs> ahead of the curve. Now let me yeah, ask we you guys out the bead shop. Let me, let me ask you guys a question that. <laughs> Now, you, now, obviously, you stayed for the most part in one area most no. of your youth. I yeah, uh, Sherman Oaks uh, Studio City till I was about sixteen. Then I moved to uh, Oak Park. Okay, which is where we met. Okay, now I just actually met somebody else that uh, went to school over there in that area, and um, this is the general consensus. I think we heard this the other day when we were at a, at a lunch with some people that. Um, the, did you guys private school or did you public school? Because the guy, the guy we were talking to is like private school. More people died in private school from drug overdoses and all that kind of stuff than public school. Because he was like, public school is tough, but he goes, I, I have nothing but good things to say about it in general. That's were your question. parents? Were your parents? Were you public school or private school kids? No, I think I and I, I'll, I think both of us are similar, but I think we're fifty fifty. So I'm private school all the way up into eighth grade, okay. and then I got dropped into the big fat tub we call LAUSD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I did all kinds of drugs and joined gangs and did things that I joined gangs. Done. That's where I met Andrew in a gang. In a in a gang, I think both of us. Were I in swear, a gang. if you guys tag my backyard before you go, you're in big trouble. Ah, you're not going to know. Ah, if what do you we mean do a it. gang? What kind of gang were you guys in? The Outsiders? No, a tagging crew. And yes, the Outsiders. That was one of the gangs. Really? Yeah. I mean, we look like you know. Can I believe be any of this? You There's no like, such thing. You as look like a couple those... of turds that would tag a bus window or something. <laughs> we definitely <laughs> I would. I can see that. We yeah. did. I hate those guys, man. But what? When, well, we're not those guys anymore now. But no. how do you get? How does one become? Like, what made you so angry that you want to be a gang? Or was it just? I, I don't understand the whole gang mentality like were you guys you guys are serious because you're both like happy-go-looking guys i don't understand how you got in gangs well but i'm sure you were angry when we're talking gangs we're not talking crips and bloods of and stabbing uh, and and crew you guys weren't a crew no we were we were kids you know we were kids growing up in a time in the 90s when that shit was fucking cool (laughs) okay so it's just a group of like like seventh grade and you're listening to nwa and you're just like i mean it it it, dro- it drove us nuts, man. I remember just tagging on buses. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but I was getting fame on the streets on Ventura what? Boulevard. Yeah. A lot of our behavior, you'd, you'd walk up to guys you didn't know, and you'd be like, you'd, go, you'd, you'd look at them, and you'd, you'd check them out up and down. You'd be like, you right? You right, man? Like it was some kind of like accusation. Like, you right? And it, what does that mean? You're tag. You You're tag. You're tag. And so the, the proper response for you right, you'd have to have a pretty bulletproof answer. You'd be like, yeah, right. This is scene. Uh, ENZ one. You know, you'd have to have a pretty quick. Wait, answer. you have a handle. You guys had handles. Yeah, you had well, to have a what's handle. the thing? That's the thing they're tagging all over the place. What's your? Ha- I don't know what. The, I don't know what any yeah. of that stuff means. Oh, Brian, you're so. You got to be able to read it. I'm too. from Wisconsin. <laughs> 
Tagging there is just taking a dump on someone's front porch. <laughs> <laughs> Stealing pumpkins. Yeah. That's what we did. We were crazy. We were rebel rousers. <laughs> Bottle rockets. Right, down what was your, your handle? Or it, I think that. Um, you, what, well, you got a couple of them. So I was uh, Trix in the early days, T R I X. Nice. Okay. Not the cereal. But then I evolved to Scene. S C E N, which is actually Sken. So it's like a weird kind of misspelling play going on. Was there any kind of mark over the e? Was there? It was very creative. I do with like the adult mind. Like the adult mind feels like I have to explain it. As a kid, I didn't explain it to anyone. I'd be like seen, and it was misspelled, and no one would say anything. Uh, (laughs) Literacy, everybody. Andrew, what were your seriously? Did you tell? What were your handles? Yeah, my handles. What? What were your handles? Well, I'm going I, I, CB talk. No, I don't know anything I, else. I, like I don't that. know. I like that. No, it's funny. <laughs> when you were saying what are your handles, it took me a second to understand what you were even talking about. I'm like, Did you spill? Just a little bit. All right, enough that I got to get a napkin. If you have one, that would be great. I right, keep. I want to know. Just, I can hear you. So I want to know what your handles are. My <laughs> what your handles, man. So Brian, uh, when I started tagging, I was in seventh grade. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but, you know, I came up with all sorts of names, and, and the two that stuck were Bliss, B-L-I-S, Bliss One, and I used to tag that shit all up and down Ventura Boulevard. The number one or spelled out one? O-N-E. I used to actually write O-N-E. Okay, so, so far, thematically, yeah. if you want to be cool, you have to remove one letter. That's what I've got from both you guys so far. Thematically. Well, no, and you have to no. spell out O-N-E. You have to, you have to let them know that you're the only one. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so your bliss. Okay, so we've got scene, tricks, scene, and, um, and bliss. And one. bliss one and okay, but Brian, you're taking me back to 1992. You remember here, two of them, you know? And uh, the thing is, is that in those days, man, I mean, when you get would get, uh, you know, you would start seeing your friends. You would take the 424 on Ventura Boulevard. What does that mean? The That's bus. The bus. Okay. You take the 424, and you take it down to. Uh, you know, the Sherman Oaks Galleria, and when the buses would come by, you'd run out and you'd ride on the buses. As they were moving. As they were picking people up. It was the biggest goddamn rush when you're a 13, 14-year-old kid. And then you realize, you know, you're like, oh, I'm destroying property. This is kind of stupid. And I, and I think that's around the time of 14, 15, I started smoking a lot of weed, and I was like, oh, shit, man. I'm not going to be fucking doing this shit. Isn't, this is, can I this just is say that's one for the weed right there? That's one for weed. I agree weed. with like, you. I agree with there, you, John. You're out there up to no good, destroying property. Yeah. It's annoying. I used to ride the bus. It was the most, to watching a kid get off the bus and then right on the fucking window, I was like, where the fuck are your parents? Like, I just would get so mad, man. And and it just drove me insane. And then you take, like, two hits off a joint, and you're like, you know what? That's kind of a shitty way to live. I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. I'm going to relax. <laughs> and that was it. One for weed. Yeah, you got to give it up for the weed. I do. I'm sorry. I, you, I really, I can't defend that enough. That's... That's that's positivity right there. Well, the well, weed you know, actually John. helped get us out. So so when yeah. we started smoking the weed with with the graffiti, and then eventually the graffiti went away because we were just stoned and we were just exactly thinking what you were thinking. <laughs> yeah. Why the fuck are we doing well, this? Yeah. What's the point? One. Now it's too much activity because you're stoned. So it's like I gotta run up to the bus and then run away. And who wants to yeah. run all that time? That's just. Yeah, I don't want to go to jail there's, for there's fucking. A little bit of uh, anxiety when you're you know riding on buses and Ventura Boulevard. So eventually and, you know, the rush Sunday turns to anxiety, and then mm-hmm. you're just like, this is now I'm not the fun is gone now dude you know when you're about 14 15 you start smoking weed all the time you just you know for me i i got really interested in girls i started chasing girls i started going you know to like just different places so it was more of like you know the the environment that i was in i was listening to you know all the music all my friends were tagging of course i was going to go out and tag but you know when you when i hit about you know uh you know 15 
years old, I was really just into girls. I was really into music. I was into playing guitar. I grew my hair fucking long. That's so, like that's the that's so, the pinnacle age right know, there. Fifteen yeah. years old. I quit football and I was like, I'm gonna play the guitar, grow my hair out, and dude, smoke you know some what? Weed. Good for you. I was really fast, <clears throat> and they my, at high school they were like, oh, you should play football. And I'm looking around, seeing people getting fucking clobbered. I'm like, that you tell me that guy's gonna fucking hit me? Yeah. No. That's no. why my, my no. sophomore year, and, going to my junior year, I saw what they, they just become tackling dummies. I was like, dude, I, want that. I, I was fast as fuck, and you know, <laughs> man, I, I I grew, I started growing my hair long, and and the they were like, you want to play football? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I kind of got talked into it, and then the coach was one of these old guys. He's like, hunt. Uh-uh, not with that hair, buddy. Yeah, because yeah. the hair is you the problem. You had a dazed and confused Randall Pink Floyd situation. <laughs> he did, actually. I yeah. did. I did. Yeah. And- Coach, I may play, but I will never sign this. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That was me. Dude, well, awesome. What happened to the graffiti, though? We were talking about graffiti. Well, no, so basically you guys just got out of it. You guys smoked weed and stopped graffiti. Like, but, football. Why, but why did you guys, why why multiple handles? It was just one of those things like, I'm, I'm over this one. I got to get a new handle. Okay, here's the thing about the Or is it a crime, crime choice? So I need to go back, okay, because the reason that the graffiti happened is so prevalent is because, you know, Andrew and I lived in the Valley, but you have to remember, at LA Unified School District, two-thirds of the school was busting from East Los. So we had the influence of East Los Angeles, Angeles, everybody, for the lay people. East East LA. And these poor kids, they literally had to get on a bus. Two-thirds of our school in the valley was bused in from the inner city. They get get on a bus at 6 in the morning just to get shipped out to our school. I mean, it it was rough. So we would learn on a them. lot of the stuff on them. They, so they were, it was a frustrating thing. That was that whole forced integration. Yeah. Or like, they didn't like Instead it. of fixing their school districts, they just put them in another school district. Yeah, yeah. In that's, different school districts. Yeah. But we'd learn a lot of the tricks. So, so we were wannabes, I think, in the Valley. You know, when it was, it was, for us, it was art. It was identity. There was a reason to do graffiti. It was, it was connected to identity. It was okay. making a name for yourself. And I think a lot of males I, connected with that because we wanted to be part of a crew, part of a group have an identity you're at that perfect age i think it's 13 but i remember mobbing the bus like the public bus used to come up when we were at el camino real the public you know city bus would come up and i swear to god maybe 15 or 18 kids would mob molest this thing like at once yeah so this wasn't like one person this is like a race almost it's every day it's cultural brian and that time it was like a very special time where as i was gonna say know, that doesn't it, really happen like that no anymore, kids right? don't do what we i mean dude like in that said, way what you're for describing the, for the record i was a complete fucking wannabe because you know i mean look at me dude i'm first of all 12 13 14 i mean it was it was just a stage but you know everyone around you was doing it too and yeah it no fucking, i get it it's it's the whole it was, peer pressure thing it was as well. fucking cool it was like a cool thing to do <laughs> And, and the more of you that there are, you get are. to drive down the street. You see your friends' names on, de- and then that's okay. it becomes a little yeah. bit of a competitive thing. Like, oh, did you see, did you get the Bank of America building? Yes, I got the Bank of America building. <laughs> that's how you guys I got talked. The fu- I got the fucking yeah, the freeway Hughes overpass. Market. You know, right. did you, you, you know. Do climb up something with a rope? Did you did you did use anybody? Now, there's always a thing. Did anybody you know severely injure themselves or die trying to be the best and getting in a spot they shouldn't have? Did you guys ever have that problem? Oh yeah, no, legendary stories. No, no, no. There's a legendary story. There's a there's a legendary uh, tagger named Skate. He was the leader of. Of one of the biggest crews called CBS, and well, that's actually the network. But that's well, it also was a, it was a crew called Can't Be Stopped. They're the best okay. artists. They dominated Melrose. Okay, so if you ever see graffiti, it's usually a CBS guy has done it. But um, Skate got hit by a train trying to tag. These guys would hit train yards, and so the story was he got run over by a train. And we all heard it young, and it was almost legendary. I mean, his OG, we'd be like OG Skate, and he'd get respect because he got hit by a train because he was painting on a train at night. But he died, right? 
he he's he's gone. I, I remember growing up and hearing this story, but but the CBS guys were a little bit ahead of me. Like you know, they were a little bit older, and they were just like the fucking coolest guys that you could ever hear about. It's amazing, that, yeah, the whole culture. Yeah, the col- I mean, it it really was. And then the other thing is that they were a predominant. I mean, from what I remember, they were predominantly West Side crew. Okay, and you know, I was from the Valley, so that made them even cooler. That they were like you know West Side CBS so and, let's- and the best artists. Um, let's let's get back to the well, deva- well, really really quick. Did you ever see the documentary um, about oh called uh, Exit the Gift Shop? Nope. Enter the Gift Shop? Nope. Um, Airbrush Art. It's D- Doug Prey. Oh my God! Got to look this up. Doug Prey. Um, it's a documentary about uh, graffiti. I forget what it's called, but it's got a guy in there who's they, he interviews. Take one away for weed. Who's so we're back to zero. <laughs> <laughs> we were one up. Now we're That's down funny. one. You know what? I, I gotta I gotta always defend weed when it comes to memory. With, it with was my a wife. joke. I, I gotta always say with her because anytime I, I like forget something, like I have to start keeping track of the times I forget stuff when I'm sober. So I'm like, yep, it happened sober. Yep, I misplaced the keys sober. <laughs> yeah, yep. I forget it, everything you anyway. Get, you get evidence. Yeah, you know and. Uh, well, what what evidence do you get? Are you saying that your short term memory is not affected by weed? Absolutely not. I I believe that if something's fucking important to me, I will remember it whether I'm drunk, stoned, you know, like you know whatever anything else. But if it's not that important, then maybe you know maybe I'll forget that shit. So so b- back to the graffiti thing. Sorry, John, to have made fun of you, but yeah, no, no you, you were right. You're right to make fun of me. That was no, 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 no. That was funny. <clears throat> but while he's looking that up, so th- you were going back to the thing about. The Valley. What? What? When did you guys? When did you guys become aware? Because you're kind of in a fishbowl when you live in a major city, whether it's New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles, and specifically Los Angeles, more so than any other city in the '80s and the early '90s. A lot of the movies took place here. Like a lot of the movies in, were ingrained in Los Angeles culture. Some good, some bad. And when I say good or bad, like making it seem awesome and making fun of it in some other respect. So when you say that, um, you know, it wasn't that you weren't that feel, feel that respected by living in the Valley, was part of that the, the being aware of the fact that the rest of the world is being also seeing this culture and it's embarrassing or you think it's cool? Knowing you know, that where you live the, is the, all over film and television, yeah, you make no, no, an no, interesting the, point. The valley was cool as fuck. So, sorry to interrupt. The, the valley was awesome. I, I loved growing up in the valley, but there there was like a little bit when, at least for me, when I was growing up, there was a little bit of a stigma that the valley was like not as cool as the West Side. Growing, but up. was that only here and not that identities does not come from film and television? And from film and television standpoint, did you guys actually? When did you, did you become aware of what you were surrounded by? Yeah. And did you think it was cool, or were you more like, whatever, I'm just a teenager, I don't give a shit? Let me answer that. Okay, so so yeah, you know, I think I think directly related to my childhood experience. So when I was in junior high, I made friends with a guy named Ben Markowitz, and Ben was a Taekwondo uh, yellow belt gold medal champion. Awesome. A Taekwondo champion named Ben Markowitz. I love it. He was a handsome man. I saw him best three three attackers at once in junior high. He was legendary. And um, he became the guy who they based the film Alpha Dog off of. Alpha Dog was a a very famous film that came out. Sharon Stone and uh, Ben Foster, and it was about a true Justin kidnapping. Timberlake, Bruce Justin Willis. Timberlake, JT. It was about a true kidnapping that happened in my neighborhood with my old uh, middle school friend and his little brother. Stop you there just for a second, so that we're clear. You guys knew these people that were involved in that this movie was made about. You the were real, you were you, you were in that life. neighborhood. You lived. This is your real. This is part of your life. Yeah. that this movie is taking place in. Yeah, Ben Markowitz was my neighbor 
and Ben Markowitz was the older brother played by Ben Foster in Alpha Dog. Wow. And he was one of the most talented, handsome guys I knew. And, you know, we, we wanted to be like him. And, you know, for us, you know, I think what, what you're asking is a culture question. You're asking about what L.A. was like back then. It's like... And did, that, did the L.A. culture of what L.A. stood for in Hollywood, did that have an impact on you guys? But we will Absolutely. get to that. I'm more curious. I want to go to... We got to get to this Alpha Dog thing first because you it brought it did. up. So talk yeah. about this... What, what would, so some people who obviously had not seen the film, explain to us exactly what happened. So Alpha Dog is the tale of a, a drug deal gone bad and a younger brother who's not related to the drug deal getting kidnapped by young tweakers and held hostage for about three to four days before he's then executed and left in a shallow grave. So that's the true story that actually happened. I knew all these people growing up. I remember young Nick, you know, we used to go Nick to Taekwondo. Is the, who is Nick? Nick is the one that ultimately ended up dying? Nick is the younger brother who, who ended up perishing. And he had nothing to do with any of this stuff. Nothing he to was do just, with it. He was collateral damage, basically, in life. Yeah, the story is, I think, uh, Ben Markowitz ripped off someone for some drugs. We're not sure the dollar amount. It's 15000 to 30000 somewhere in there. But, you know, not enough to kill someone over. And uh, the guys who got ripped off saw the younger brother walking on the street. They were tweaking on methamphetamines. They... You know, brought him into the car. They ushered him up to Santa Barbara, kidnapped him for three days. I think they kept him high, and then eventually they all freaked out, and I think they executed him because they just didn't know what to do. And meanwhile, Ben Markowitz is going to parties in the valley, and not he's, knowing he has does he, has, he did he know that his brother no, was kidnapped? Yeah, he knew oh. his brother was kidnapped, and he and there's scenes in the movie where he just goes into parties, goes where's my brother to random people, and just starts throwing tables because he was looking for his brother and they couldn't find him. And it's a really sad story. Um, uh, in general, but that really happened, and I saw Ben. I mean, I knew Ben. We went to junior high together. I saw this guy. He was the most talented, handsome. I mean, girls loved him. He always said the right thing, but he made the same choices Andrew and I made, where you know he joined gangs and you know would write and do graffiti and end up with the wrong people. And so he ended up getting into some drugs and basically it just made some bad choices. Yeah, I think he joined gangs in prison, and I think and once he went on that path, I mean, he had tattoos all over his body. He could never go back. And I wonder what he's doing today, but but yeah, he had to endure that, and that film was his life. Did he do prison time for any, anything or no? Because it, because it was it's theft of like theft. He's stealing from thieves, so I don't know how that re- actually small works. Small amounts. I think he was in and out, but always small amounts. Okay, yeah, and it wasn't for that. He was, no, he no, no. Was, it was for the yeah. Oh, okay. The, but the guys who killed. But he's got to live with the, the fact that got his busted. decisions got his brother killed. Ultimately, that's what absolutely. he's had to live with. So he screwed up. Did and you before, ever see him after that? Yeah, and well, during it, by the way, absolutely. So Andrew and I both saw him because we were going to rave parties with him. This is while months, this is all going on. Months before well, it happened. Oh, okay. Well, Ian was closer with him than I was. Okay. I, I hung out with him. I remember, uh, you know, many number of times in high school. So anywhere from probably. 10th grade through 12th grade and then you know maybe a few times after high school and uh you know he was a confident guy he like Ian said he always knew what to say he was you know he was one of those guys that you know he just at a young age the guy just meant business and you didn't mess with him I remember he he had a gun he was one of the first guys who I ever saw that like actually carried a gun with them and uh I remember one night we were all um we were all out and we were drinking and you know we're, we're kids we're 18 and we were standing by the by the you know by the 101 freeway and it, somebody dared somebody else to shoot the gun and then somebody you know shot it up in the air and it was just like i remember being a kid going jesus christ what the fuck am i doing <laughs> you know goddamn burbank boulevard shooting a gun <laughs> up in the air <laughs> at least that was your reaction and not dude this but, is the greatest yeah thing let's keep life. doing this and i'll start right. pointing it at people right. man i would find myself in the craziest situations just growing up as a you know as a kid in la i mean i'm sure just like anybody but 
Dude, I nah, found myself just like in that. anybody. I mean, yeah. that's. <laughs> I think it's a pretty unique situation. I mean, anybody who grows up, you know, in in a city, it's a different situation than like the majority of like people like me and Brian who grew up in the suburbs. Who like I rode my bike around and my mom yelled for me when dinner was ready. Or, like fuck Mayberry compared to what you're talking about. That yeah. sounds you know so I mean? good. <laughs> I would love that actually. Yeah, no, it would, dude. I am not complaining at what all. A childhood do-over, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like you don't get to go back to being that young you're just riding bikes around with kids and everyone's like who's this yeah, guy I think the most I ever did was shoot a, a miss a crow with a slingshot I don't think I ever got too crazy I used to whip rocks at raccoons that were breaking into our garbage cans yeah I mean but you know I mean look it's just, it's just different you guys were you guys grew up in a very big city and again it is a fishbowl and I guess it goes back to my by the way that's an amazing story the fact that you guys were around yeah that's, and that's, that is crazy I saw just, that movie and I thought everyone in the movie did a great job and I was like oh that's a true story man what a shitty yeah it's one of those things like it's almost like a Fargo situation where you're like none of these people had to die they didn't like, what no. is the what are you no kidding one. like you said even if it was thirty thousand dollars even if brian stole 30 even if i had thirty thousand dollars <laughs> for brian to steal i wouldn't kill brian over thirty probably not dollars. probably I not. killed over thirty five thousand dollars in, in your real life though after that all went down was there a lot of doom and gloom for a while in the neighborhood where people were like really like bummed out and depressed like when the news finally broke of like what ultimately happened in the end yeah. game of that i think was there that- was always doom and gloom around the choices that that this young guy made no but we all- all of a sudden, you find out that something. It's when it when you hear when you first hear. Oh well, he's not coming back because in the end, he's dead. We just found out that he is now dead because of all this stuff. Did you did you did you did the, the neighborhood feel that absolutely for a little bit of, for a while of like oh um, like I I could only imagine what I'm, I've never been around something like that where like that's some pretty devastating news for parents for anybody. To, to, again, like John said, none of that had to happen. It's, it wasn't a car accident, which is also tragic, but this was like a car accident that was almost intentionally driving down that street to die, right? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it, it all happened because it was a, disin- a disintegration of family. What I, what I know, to give you guys a little backstory, so we all know how people get divorced and mm-hmm. people move on. Well, that was the scenario. So I think Ben and his sister were the original kids. Dad didn't work out with the first mom, got divorced, had a new mom. Nick was from the new mom. Okay. So she represented the new family. Okay. So imagine, you know, growing up and you got the new brother and you kind of despise him because he represents something that's not your family. So there's that dynamic growing up, and then later on in life, the bad choices that I think were probably aimed at mom and dad end up affecting the little brother. Yeah. So it really was a sad story, and and, and it did affect us. I mean, I think Andrew and I got serious about our careers at, at that age. You know, at 19, most people are going to school, going to college, getting yeah. their drink on. But, we finished <clears throat> and got serious about our careers, well, and that's another thing. Entertainment is lurking around this whole time while we're taggers. Mom's got me being a child actor, going to auditions, and Andrew's at the shop with his dad, you know, Posting it up with everyone under the sun. So let's talk. So let's take a step back and let me ask you about your parents. What did your parents do for a living? So my parents were like serious entrepreneurs. Dad was a salesman. Mom owned a flower shop at Fred Siegel's. Okay, her own. Okay, so that was pretty cool. So they did. They, nice. so they did well for themselves. And Andrew, your dad was in editing. Post. Yeah, my dad uh, was a uh, game show producer in okay. the seventies and eighties. Oh, what, what did he What did he work on? What did he work on? He did a bunch of uh, cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Perhaps seventies, eighties. <laughs> Perhaps John game shows. You know, I just figure everyone's coked up. Uh, Wonderama. He worked on Wonderama. He uh, did Candid Camera with, uh, with Alan Funt. Great show, dude. Yeah, I, dude. Some... That you're literally without people like your dad. There, I might not be sitting here. 
He started at Channel 5 in New York, and, uh, you know, my mom and dad are both from Queens. They moved to Los Angeles. I was going to say, you, you, um, you seem very New York. Ah, well. But I, you've never, but you're just born and raised out here. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I actually had a, uh, an accent because I was raised by my parents. Who, who had accents. That's hilarious. Yeah. You picked up, yeah, you talk like them. That's yeah, funny. Of course. Yeah. So, and I, I think it's gotten less and less over, over the years, but, uh, Dad opened a, a post-production shop in, uh, in the Just 90s. after he kind of got He was done with doing the TV producing And just saw, saw a new business opportunity for himself Or what made him get into that Just think, out of curiosity I think in his head he was always a producer Okay But you know I think when you When you start building a, a post business Especially in those days You know you're, you're trying to grow the business And so there, there was a year You know probably 15 year spam Where he didn't produce anything And so uh, you know he sold those businesses In the early 2000s And has been uh, developing Different game shows, and you know, name of your dad's company, Gary Hunt Productions. Okay, well, I know the uh, on the post. I feel like I should. Oh, well, now it's DVS. It's DVS. But what did Burbank. it used to be called? Producers Post. Oh, Producers from okay. uh, you know, I think they started it in in the eighties, and you know, probably sold it around. God, I got to get your dad a resume. Like if you, if you really where he worked on with Alan Fawn on Candid Camera, that's like the first. I got an, That's I was, an iconic. Thing I worked on the Jamie here, Kennedy yeah. experiment, and that like Jamie was cool in the sense that he oh, every TV interview he did when that show was coming out, he always gave props to Alan Font and Candid Camera. And I remember just growing up as a kid watching Candid Camera, being like, "That's pretty funny shit." And then I, I got to I worked, then I worked on Punk, and I was uh, and I've done like a lot of hidden camera stuff, but like on Punk, somebody there was another hidden camera show coming out on a different network, and somebody was like, "You believe this? They're ripping us off." And I was like, "Hey, guy, <laughs> you need to you need to get a book or something, and <laughs> figure out what the fuck you're talking book. about because there have been hidden camera shows long before this one. Okay, this is like the nine thousandth hidden camera show. That's so funny. Where no one's ripping us off. It's just it's just a regurgitated thing that's being cut in half and then forced to fuck it each other and then <laughs> I'm just saying it's bastardized it's, it's you know, that's mutant bastardized yeah 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 but but the can of camera stuff was literally the this is a guy in a van across the street you know what I mean I love that yeah. it's great yeah so Ian did you want to be a child actor or was that something that you were introduced to how did you get into that stuff and how and and what levels of success did you have what how did you enjoy it that kind of stuff I think I, I think I did because I think when you grow up in LA, it's a huge deal. You get to go to the Chinese Man Theater. You get to see the the award shows. You know, it's a huge deal. You may see celebrities growing up. You may go to school with celebrities' kids. So this whole idea of the business uh, is, is a huge. It's it's a, it's a huge dream and a huge goal. I think for the majority of people who come here. How so, old were you when you started doing child acting? Um, mom got me in the business when I was thirteen. Okay. And mom and dad both wanted to do it. Um, I think they had kids a little early, and then I think that real life, providing for the kids in L.A., it becomes like a full-time. Right. <clears throat> My question is, before you go any further, you said that that's what most people who come here want to do. I would say 99% of the people that move here have the, the idea at first that they want to be involved in the entertainment industry. Growing up, though, like I feel like this place is no different than any other place, which is a lot of people when they're growing up, like, get me the fuck out of here. I don't want to look at another one of these idiots. I don't want to, you know what I mean? I'm not, <laughs> and I'm just saying that's a young, like, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, you start to be like, I cannot wait to move out of this house, to get out of this town. Like, 
did that did that attitude still like exist for you guys even though you were living in Los Angeles the place we all ended up coming to I think you're right and I think I think living in any other town that what wouldn't that, that isn't as cool you feel that way but I think LA and New York and like larger cities are so cool that there's always a way to get lost so I've lived in LA my whole life but I've lived in s- different countries within LA <laughs> exactly yeah you, know, like you said like you totally live in Malibu experience. you lived in Malibu just driving up the 10 you go through that tunnel you're like you feel like you're coming out on it like Am I in Spain now? Where yes. am I? Like you're like in a different continent. You're like, totally. what's going on? So, Which is awesome because that's what makes this whole area amazing. Yeah, but I've threatened my wife and I said, wouldn't it be nice that's for us classy. to like live in in <laughs> Indiana or like just go like like have a normal life? Like because we don't know what that's like. Does she? Does, so she's also from here. She's from here. Her parents live here. So the answer is no. Yeah, you're not going to go to Indiana. No exper- yeah, yeah. Also, yes, yeah, got it, got it, got saying it. Saying those things and then just pull up side by side on the internet the descriptions of the places. I mean, what are you talking about? Like, why would you? Well, to me, because I've never had it, a slow life where I have land and I'm not like bombarded with like all these people who. I mean, in LA is like, it's become incredibly diverse more so it was diverse when we were growing up but like there was a time when like la was like a bunch of people who all spoke english and like knew each other i mean there really was la used to be small but now like you could throw a stone and hit someone and they don't speak your language they don't care about anything you care about you're just completely different and that's what la is now and that's what my neighbors are i mean do you know your neighbors uh yeah yes here yeah do do you guys hang or are you guys in different (laughs) worlds Poor choice of words. He had one neighbor hang himself. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That's I forgot right. about that. You um, guys hang, or one of them they, does, just you alone. Know, we all know each other. It's all pleasantries. I will tell you that the reason why we picked this neighborhood, and I, I think I've talked about this before, I picked this neighborhood because I grew up in a neighborhood. And I think the whole concept of neighborhood has changed. You don't really get neighborhoods anymore. And I will say that because even when my brother and my sisters live, they live in neighborhoods, and they don't know their neighbors like we knew our neighbors growing up. It's yeah. Just, it is different, and I don't, I don't necessarily put that on culture as more as I put that on um, the shift in society has become more individualistic and le- less community. It's about me and taking care of me and my best needs, and if I have time to deal with my neighbors and the people around me, I will, but for right now, it's all about us and all about me, and I think that's kind of the, the big shift. Um, yeah, I mean, I live, this area is, has a, a heavy uh, Filipino population, and I don't care, but I don't have, I don't have much of a relationship with that, that culture, and it's around me all over the place, um, but I don't, I mean, I know some people, but most of them know, and I think, I think a lot of times, and you, I think this goes for all cultures, they just stick to themselves. I noticed that when I was growing up in, in uh, Milwaukee, where there, there was, there was Milwaukee, a huge... one of the most segregated cities in America. No, 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 no. In the area that I was in, what, what, I'm not talking about the problems they have between Literally, black people. Literally, it's a train track. Who, don't look at those people on the yes, other side of the train track. Which is track. what I don't like my city, <laughs> one of my home cities for, is I don't like the fact that it's that segregated. I, yeah. I don't understand that. And the, the problems are obviously rearing their ugly heads now. So, But what I, what I was saying was that when I was going to school, I worked at a grocery store, and that grocery store was a very heavy Armenian population area. And that was the first time I remember asking somebody, I'm like, what is they all, Armenia? They all seemed to, no, I, 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 I was familiar with them, but they all stuck together. Like, they didn't, they didn't try to integrate, they stuck together. And I think that was kind of the beginning, this was in the, the, uh, the late 80s, early 90s. I think that's just when things started changing, where people were like, yeah, we don't have to be a part of with each other. And it's not a bad thing. No. But then if you want to, you should be able to without conflict. Well, yeah, sorry, that was but a I really think, long answer. But, so but that whole thing is like, a lot of that is sticking together, is keeping their traditions alive and keeping the things that they've been alive. A lot of that is alive, about... And there's nothing wrong with that. And you're right, when they go out into the... 
world with the rest of us, there should be no conflict. There shouldn't be like, hey, I noticed you guys were keeping to yourselves. Yeah. Ah, but that bothers some people. Yeah, I know. But some people are idiots. Well, you know, it, it yeah. goes way back to the, you know, the 70s when people would get upset about why are those black people talking that jive with those bad, bad language? It's like, well, it's not your problem. It's that, if that's how they choose to communicate, get over yourself. Not right. everybody has to talk like you. you and know, they don't want to talk to you anyway, so yeah. don't worry about it. Or if it. they do, who cares? That's like, the guy the worried, that's like the guy worried about gay people. Like, well, I don't want them forcing themselves on. No one wants to fuck you, buddy. Don't worry about it. But my it. attitude is like, which, which way is to speak proper English? Is it to sound like a Southerner? Is it to sound like you're from Southern California? Does it sound like you're from Fargo, North Dakota? Everyone says... all those things... I mean, you could, in theory... like, Or you go, to, you go down south... In, in, in like Creole country you can, They're talking English But you can't even understand, can't understand Half the way I, I watch shows Where they Even though they're speaking English They're still putting English subtitles, subtitles Underneath them But if you watch the news If you watch the news Everywhere They all have the same Like The, the people in the south They're like Hi welcome to Arkansas news They're like not They all sound the exact same There's some weird news Monotone Like well, no yeah. dialect no description of where it's from. They're like, "Hello, tonight the weather is," and we're that's all actually trained in school. Fucking robots. I know that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, that's a, that's a school trained thing. But anyway, do you know? So but to get- those people sound the most like people in the Midwest without without the heavy Chicago accents. So, this is I love about our show. We just took a we took a far left turn. But the child acting thing. Ah, going back to that. And, and uh, is, can we see you real? The reason why I'm saying is, did you like you? Obviously. It doesn't seem like you know, acting is like your driving force anymore. Did, what kind of stuff did you do? Did you get caught up in it? Or was there a point where like you just didn't want to do it? Take us through the actual arc of your childhood acting career. Okay, so I was uh, spotted at, Ian. A, at a Coco's. Yeah, this is Ian. I was spotted at a Coco's. <laughs> and I spotted shit. at a Coco's. What spotted, you, can I ask what you were doing? Were you doing a little dance and a little jig? What were you doing? Actually, I was doing something great. I was mouthing off to my mom, oh, which is yeah. the best acting move any young actor can do. Oh, I've, well, never seen, I've never seen a young actor mouth off to their mother before. Okay, because that's what I did, and Christ. it got the attention of all the people around us. Oh, and and one got of, my attention. One of those ladies uh, looked at me and said, damn, that boy's a good actor. So she approached my mom and said, hey, you know, uh, it wasn't about the acting. It was more about the look. She said, hey, your kids have great looks. I'd love to bring them down. Her name was Barbara Cameron. She was Candace and Kirk Cameron's mom. Wow. And so she had a little open calling, and I rolled down there, and I gave her more attitude because that's what I thought acting was. I thought acting was attitude when I was young. Like, I didn't know it was, like, really acting. I just thought it was, like, just giving more attitude. Call me tricks, lady. You've seen about You heard me. Like, yeah, she I'm brings you in. You give her attitude. She gives you a Bible. Give me some money, lady. Uh, so then, that's, Trixie's hungry for some cash flow. Yeah, and that's that's what it is. And I think my mom loved me to do it, so she'd always take me. And it was a relationship between me and my mom because at the end of the day, a I was one. always practicing a good one okay. with my mom. We'd be reading together, and, and she taught me. And if, if I didn't like her instruction, I could argue with her. So it was like me training with a director, kind of just like being a real jerk as many times as possible. She'd have to get me whatever I wanted to eat because I was like the young kid who had to go on an audition after school. And if I was hungry, she'd have to get me something. So it was a huge manipulation tool. But beyond <laughs> that well did you book a lot <laughs> well not a re- in the beginning i didn't but then after a couple years i got it and i started booking and booking opened a lot of doors and for me the biggest door it opened was getting out of high school Ooh, and so here was the deal schooled on set exactly so Surprise, so if you went to regular school yeah. you'd have eight hours of school right you'd you know the full day but if you went to set school you had unlimited craft service and three hours of school and you got paid, and you got to act. And that schooling was. Uh, but wait a minute. So, ridiculous. but you had to be garbage. A, but in order to get that, though, this isn't day playing. You were trying. Your goal was to get it to where you. You were just like, "There's too much going on. I can't go to school. I don't understand how that works." I did it two ways. So I 
audition for principal roles, which I did get a, a number of pr- principal roles. But which I means also... a main part, not main the part. role of a principal when he's a okay, child. Okay, how many roles right. were you asshole kid on bike? Okay, so... <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> My first uh, big role was I got to play a young Matt LeBlanc in a show called Vinny and Bobby. This was, uh, this was Vinny and Bobby was a spinoff from Married with Children. Uh, I absolutely watched every episode of it, and that was where Matt LeBlanc kind of showed his face. Was first time Married with Children. Al Bundy kicked him out. Then his dad showed up. Then they got their own show that was on for a season, maybe two. John knows his history. It was on for one season. It got canceled. I was in every opening sequence. I was the Bam! young. I was oh. the young Matt LeBlanc. Okay, with the motorcycle. Holy shit! You were. <laughs> Not a lot of people know this, but but that was me. So uh, I remember that I remember uh, that face. The fact that you remember the show, I have no idea. I still don't know what you guys are talking about. Oh, dude, I'll, we'll look it up. I'll show you. I don't know it was not, okay. Good. Like, okay. Good. I'm not the only one. I'm it wasn't you, like Brian. cinema was. We weren't. Everyone wasn't. Oh my god, it was canceled. We, it was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, wasn't right, great. So th- was that your bi- first big break, if you will? First big break, and okay. I remember we shot in Pasadena, and it was magic because we're shooting in magic on a Sunday, Saturday, and a Sunday as a kid. Matt Wait, LeBlanc shooting I, what? Uh, shooting, uh, the shooting was like magic. Magic. Okay, it I thought there was like a place magic. called Magic. I'm like, where is this place? I'd like to see a place called Magic. It's an enchanted forest, <laughs> and and it was a great experience. And so, um, and then the the money that came, and the rewards that came, and then the standing that came. Because like when I got that first acting gig, my whole family thought I was like a like some kind of diplomat from another country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, yeah. So they me. treated you're you. Wa- you're wearing a tie now. They're like, oh, yeah. Ooh, this did you so Merry so you Christmas. did you did you take advantage of it in the good, the bad, and the ugly ways? Uh, well, no, because, I was too young. well, he was already manipulating his mom for McDonald's and shit. After I was that. working but, those angles. Yeah. Well, you said you were thirteen when you started. So yeah, I was thirteen. I, I, I wasn't I wasn't corrupted Drew Barrymore style quite yet. But you're still no, tagging I mean, with your, your hoodlum buddies over yeah, here. Yeah, how did that play with your friends who were still going to school and the fact that you were doing TV work? Like, did, Dude, what's the me, dynamic of that? I was in high school with Ian. When I met Ian, we were in tenth grade, so it was a little bit after my my tagging era. Like, mm-hmm. My tagging kind of stopped when I moved from you know the valley to. Uh, you know, Oak Park Agora area. It was much more suburban, and uh, it was much more about smoking weed and taking chicks hiking and listening to fucking Pearl Jam. <laughs> White you know people I mean? doing their thing. <laughs> as, as you see, I'm, I'm easily corruptible by suburban. Yeah. You know, culture. Pearl Jam hikes weed yeah. chicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw a little blind melon in there, but anyway. Ooh, so when you met him, had he already melon. been on television at that point? Was he already yeah. been working? Okay. Yeah, right. Well, Ian okay. was no. Everyone knew at school. You know, you're in high school. Everyone knew. What there are 800 kids, a thousand kids in the school, so everyone knows that Ian's the actor. There's like five kids in school that are on TV. Okay, Ian, so the, the pre, even though you're in LA area, it's it, the the portion of working actor kids is not that huge. Very low. Okay, you know every single one of them. You I do. Mean, we okay. had Wit. Wit was the opening young guy in Jurassic Park. Who he's the young weird looking kid who the guy takes a raptor nail and anyway that kid was one of them okay. wow 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 <laughs> we had a handful of kids that work at, at that school i went to other schools i went to uh, a private school growing up called curtis where there were a lot of you know uh people that went to that school i went to montclair prep for a little while i went to uh, mm-hmm. another school called stone ridge and these are all private like schools so you would see more acting kids there is that what you're saying yeah you would see kids who work you would see working kids whose actors. Work. Okay. You would, uh, okay. You would in see, the family, you would see a lot. Okay. And you know, but at uh, Oak Park where we went, there were there were a handful, and Ian was you know w- one of the ones who was uh, a bit more boisterous. Uh, that we were a bit more rebellious kids, so there was oh, yeah. a bit more of an attitude that came out of our group of friends than you know than maybe some of the other kids. So Ian 
was the fucking coolest. All the girls wanted to sleep with him. It was like, who's going to well, be... Well, well, well. I can relate to that. When I was 13, let me tell you what. Look, isn't that... I mean, I, you <laughs> know... 15, let, 16. But I let's, still like, can't yeah. relate to it. It doesn't matter. Let's, We're not, let's not pretend. That's that's kind of part of the deal. That's kind of one of the drives. Like, oh, that's why God. people want to be rock stars. Absolutely. That's, when you're in a yeah. when you're in a growing up as an, a young male, it's all about wanting the girls to love you and having sex. I mean, that's just the reality of it. That's what we're built for, right? We're, we're here to do that thing eventually. Well, that's how you build your ego, too, is like, how does everybody else look to you? Well, guys look to you, and they're like, look at all the chicks want him. They hate you, and they simultaneously love you, as the Howard Cernifex, They hate right? you whether they, they want to be They want to be around you whether they like you or not, because you're the cool kid. So and I get it. You're developing your angle, too, at that age. I you're mean, young, Mott de Blanc. Yeah, you know, like for me. Not Blanc. Whatever. Not de Blanc. No, Mott de Blanc. Le Blanc. No, but but you know, we, so I wasn't buff, so we had to use what we had. I had a huge mouth, and I was also like incredibly <laughs> short for my age. I was like What's four one, that? huge mouth, like you're a mouth. You would have gotten Stranger Things if you were still a kid. I could, I could, you know, and I see that, and sometimes I wish that I got it. Yeah, I, I, I'll act the scenes out as a grown man. What That's else did not you do? weird at all. What other stuff did you do? Okay, so um, we did that. Then the next thing I did, I was cast as. Um, so this was a time when the Alicia Silverstone Aerosmith videos were coming. Oh, out. the hotness! And the director Marty Colner. The Alicia Silverstone, Stephen Dorff. He wanted to do the same thing for Bon Jovi. So in '95, I got the role as the lead Bon Jovi skater squatter kid in Hollywood, <laughs> and I was in two videos. So the videos were the same character, but for two videos. It was it was what? a Bon Jovi storyline. What? That's there, back with it. They used to yes, do that. Awesome. Hey kids, just video. so you know, they used to do this hey, kind of stuff. Queens, in music video. Buy the Queensrÿche album, everybody. <laughs> it's a rock opera. Um, what wait? What were the songs? The Bon Jovi songs. So this was a time when Bon Jovi was really struggling. Uh, uh, I think <laughs> those times don't exist. I think Nirvana had just taken over rock <laughs> oh, yeah. completely, yeah. and Bon was like he was huge in in Europe, but like the states just didn't want to touch him. So yeah. he went to Marty Colner and said, "Will you please make me some videos that that have some hotness?" And Marty, for some reason, thought that it was a great idea to like cast a, a young white kid with bleach blonde hair. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> so that was me. It was based off of a true story. He pulled a news article about squatters in the Hollywood area and just the tough life that they have. And he kind of said, hey, and I, it was a cold cast. I basically went to an audition and he cast me. And he said, you're the one. I'm going to cast you. You're going to do it. And so there's Obviously, no you know how to skateboard. Uh, absolutely not. We oh. had a, a double do that. Oh, uh, okay. And he broke his ankle on the first video. So you guys weren't skateboarders. Were you a skateboarder, Andrew? I was. Okay, so I, 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 that would be something that I would say growing up. I... I I was like, that's a Southern California I would try thing. so hard to fit in with it, but I would fail miserably. I could you, John. I, yeah. I was just horrible. I'm A to B, but don't make me do ollies and shit. I can't Brian, I got my first skateboard in kindergarten. I loved skateboarding. I think you're either, it, whole, you are or you aren't, my right? Whole life, yep. You, do you still skate? Yep, yep. Yeah. Not... For Every fun. once in a while, yeah, yeah. if you see a board, you'll jump on yeah. it. You know but, what's so weird now because I see this in the neighborhoods is skateboarding dads. Because you, re- it's like everything. Uh, like eventually, it's like you're going to start seeing video game playing grandpas. Like it's oh, just yeah. like eventually yeah. all your these kids things talk become, about the music they met their wives to. It's going to be like you know. So I watch. I Fuck watch her in the butt. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> oh some my God. hardcore uh, fucking hip hop you know song. Me and my wife were doing that, so we reminisce with all the gangster hip hop from the '90s. Right, and, and we'll be loking, and we'll hear like a song like um, uh, "Black Pussy" or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and we'll look at each other with like endearing eyes. <laughs> I love you, baby. I love you too. And that's a song that we remember, yeah. and we loved it, and it reminds us of our youth. And it's really weird as an adult to have something so horrible. And and when we have kids, we can't. 
No, we like can't. Oh, um, we dance to no, black pussy No, you I can't turn night. out of any of it. I can't listen to Howard cheek Stern to in the cheek. car. I can't do anything. I have to listen to the world's worst music. Put on my comedy CD. The top four. Okay, I have to listen to <laughs> Disney. The wor- <laughs> yeah, not Disney, but like just shitty top forty music. Ah, that's because redundant. That's, you don't need to say shitty in front of that because it's assumed it's shitty. It's top you, forty. So you know, I mean, I I, ha- I have to go through that phase with them. I, I occasionally sneak my stuff in because I have satellite radio, so I sneak in the hits with them. But you can't. You can't overkill it because then they won't truly appreciate it because then they think you're you're forcing it at them. So you got to sneak in a couple slide goodies, and then yeah, you got to listen they, to that Justin they, Timberlake song for the fifty thousandth fucking time. But then the, you know? they eventually they'll hear they'll hear one of your songs right that you're not. Forcing I, I never them, I never sang, but you're no, but you know what I mean. You're sneaking in a song right, and then they'll be like. Huh, they'll kind of catch a beat. They'll be like, "Oh, I like that song." Yeah, and that will lead them to be like, you know, what "That's was what that? I Marshall hope. Tucker Band." Yeah, let me. Uh, let me see I just, I just album. hope that they don't. I don't want to like my nieces and nephews. They, their whole thing, and it's all. It's always bothered me is I try to give them a music lesson, and they just didn't seem to be grab grabbing it. And then care. like two years later, they show up and they're wearing like you know Nirvana Judas and Ramones t-shirts, t-shirts yeah. from, <laughs> from fucking Target. And I'm like. Mm-hmm. Do you even know? Like, they don't care. To to it's literally bands. just a logo, and they still just—they have no. They're just not willing to capture the point of reference. You know what I've, I mean? I've talked. I think I've talked about that before. How disappointed I am when I when I see women wearing. Like I, I, I was really in love with this girl once, and she had on a Judas Priest T-shirt. And I was like, "Oh my god, you, you listen to Judas Priest?" And she's like, "What?" <laughs> and I go, "Judas Priest," and she goes, "Who? What? Oh no, this? No, it's just a shirt." And I was like, "Yep, just a style, man. Just disappointing. You're just like, a style. what? That'd be like me." I don't know what that's like because I don't know how to do that. Like I just could never wear like, oh, you're a Pirates fan? No, no, no. It just goes with my shoes. So we'll jump back to you in a sec, Ian. So for you, Ant, what on earth is that noise? That was me laughing. Yeah, dude. No, it wasn't. It sounded like a, oh, you put the mic down. Okay, so is there, sorry. So Andrew. New setup, um, guys. New setup. No, I thought it was a quacking duck. Uh, phone rings. <laughs> sorry, so you got a great laugh. It was a quacking okay, laugh. Okay, okay. Um, you're growing up around your dad, and he's producing and stuff like that. At that time, I mean, so I know we've kind of covered you guys. We were just punk ass bitches, and we didn't give a shit about anything. But did you appreciate what your dad did? Did you ever go to sets with him? Did you see things that he did, and did you embrace it? And did you really think it was cool? Like, oh, my dad's really cool. Like, I'm watching my dad over there do this or whatever. I will tell you, Brian. I had the kindest. I have still the kindest, most loving parents you could imagine Mm -hmm. i wasn't raised with really many rules uh so you never had the i hate you mom and dad thing i had a stage where all i wanted was out right but you didn't hate them you just wanted to be your thing i felt bad that i was such an asshole i knew but i also knew that i like in my own little 13 14 year old brain i was like i'm a fucking adult i know better than these idiots of course, that's <laughs> what every 13 year old 14 year old kid thinks yeah, what do, I'm what do there. you know I'll, I'll fucking call the airlines and find out when the next flight to hawaii <laughs> <laughs> yeah you will I, like, I was that kind of kid great and you're going to pay for that flight with what you're As like, you're, and, well, and this is me, back when you could you talk the to advantage. them. And that's back you when the you were advantage. talking to the busy signal, Andrew, and pretending like you're, they were still on the line with you. <laughs> it leaves at but, 7 o'clock. I'll be right there. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what a busy signal is. <laughs> I talk to the pilot. That's not how it works. <laughs> so, yeah. So you you had your conflicts. But did you do you have any favorite memories of experiencing life on set or things that your dad did where you were kind of an, uh, like Dude, impressed yeah. or like thought it was really cool what your yeah, dad did? Yeah, because I grew up with it from a real young age. You did. So I remember, you know, uh, as far back as preschool, junior high, saying, I'm a producer. Yeah, I'm a producer. <laughs> Wait, it, you were saying that. I was saying it. <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck it meant. <laughs> Producing dumps in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> Big ones, John. Big ones. Monsters. Only the best. Only the... 
My dumps are huge. They're the best. Only my dumps are better than everyone's. They're huge. Uh, so, some of your favorite memories of things that, that when you went there, like doesn't even have to be a specific show, but things that you saw and you're like, this is really cool. Like, well, dude, I remember, uh, you know, my dad worked in Burbank always. Mm-hmm. So we would go to the Dukes of Hazard set. I mean, I, I was the kid who went. Now, when you say you would go to those sets, he wasn't working on that show. But so people understand but, you, when you're on a, when you're at a location, you can then, wander around, especially back then. You were yeah. at a, on a lot. Basically, he could, he could get us onto the different lots. And there were sometimes he worked at Channel 11 and there were sometimes where he'd work at. Uh, you know, uh, Columbia Pictures Television. He had an office for a while, and uh, and you, you know, could freely wander the lots and see things. You could, and you know, so were, you watched Dukes of Hazard. Did you get to meet Tom Wolpat? Well, we got to go through the Dukes of Hazard set when they weren't. Uh, filming, okay, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. got to go to the. But still, know, the boss for a kid, like, here's the for giant racist car. Here's the, <laughs> <laughs> here's the fat white racist guy who dresses in all white. <laughs> Boss Hall. I do declare. <laughs> As a kid growing up, it was the fucking coolest. Oh my god, I, I love. So you did appreciate it. It I, wasn't one of those. I knew my dad was cool. I knew that, and I knew. Can you talk to my kids? Yeah, because they don't. So yeah. Tell, yeah, anyway, yeah, can you tell Brian's kids how cool your dad is? <laughs> that'll that'll help out, I guess, somehow. <laughs> you know, they, your kids have a picture of you with a cup of coffee in your underwear. <laughs> In the kitchen. And they're embarrassed by it because it's a cup of coffee and he's they, in his they underwear. They don't know what fucking cool is, okay? Give me a break, oh, no. Tanner. You know Tanner and Elliot. You know what? Don't tell me you don't we know We know cool. you're listening. We know you listen to these podcasts. With your mother. Right. Yeah, you guys, the whole family gathers around when Brian's, I don't know, sleeping. <laughs> but yeah, there was, a, there, was, there was big advantages to it. But, you know, I, uh, I didn't discover that I actually wanted to truly be in entertainment. My, I always say that my parents, like, pushed me for things like sports and things like mm. that. They wanted to let I, you be normal. Be social, have a life. They, they did. They, I think that they saw some of the, the obstacles that could happen, some of the challenges from having, you know, child, you know, uh, working in entertainment. They didn't push it. I always kind of wanted it, but, you know, there were a few things that I did as, as a kid where, you know, I was on my dad's shit, you know, where he'd, like, you know, there was a, a game show that he had called Slime Time and, when there's you know kids who hold the prizes, I was one of the kids who held the prizes, and then wow, that's still though, right? You're on camera, you're listen, getting on set. People are like, we, this is your spot. We're ready. When five, four. It's a three. unique experience. It, it was fucking cool, man. Yeah. I, I was on TV a few times as a kid, like doing shit for my dad, and, and my dad loved uh, comedy and he loved comics. So from the time I was a little kid, I mean. There, there was no like I said, there were no rules. Like I, I was never like not allowed to watch something. So I remember being like ten years old, nine years old, watching Dice with my dad, cracking up, just laughing, laughing. Especially our heads because off. of those fairy tale, the, the 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 kids' poems that he did or whatever. Like really stuck. It really stuck with kids and parents. Like that's a comedian, Andrew Dice Clay. I can say is a comedian that both a, a, a dad with a you know dick fart joke sense of humor and a and a kid could just both howl. Yep. Just like, and really Absolutely. be like, this is funny, right? Yeah, no, this is hilarious. Yep. Stern was on in the car. I mean, I listened to Stern for, you know, 20 years of my life growing up as a yeah, kid. Yeah, probably like, I before I ever knew who he was. When my dad took me to school in the morning, we would listen to Stern. Wow. And uh, I remember being like, you know, that that young. And That would uh, give you great, like if no one else is listening to Stern, you must go to school with great material. Like, oh yeah, no, this is all me. This is all me. <laughs> this is all me. You know what? Like, it it opened God. me up. I think I was definitely, you know, out of out of my little group of friends, I was like one of the first ones to have sex. I was a little bit more like, you know. See? And you were probably, always you, boils were you down the funniest? to that. Were you the funnier one of like your entire, were all your I friends funny? I wouldn't say that, but I I never had a, a censor. I would always go for the class clown right, maneuver. Right. I, yeah. I was the one who, not only was I not afraid of getting kicked out of class. You relished I, it. I preferred. Yeah, I, get I me out of here. I didn't want to be there. Yeah, So whatever <laughs> I could do. 
but to, that, but there was always like the people like that's how I feel. Like, there were people that were like some some of my best friends, much funnier than I was. But I was always willing to be that guy. It's like, oh yeah, you want me to fall through the table so that I can get kicked? Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> oh, everyone had a big laugh. Wasn't that funny? And then somebody else says something funny or just sly off the cuff. And you're like, oh, you piece of shit. <laughs> I had to take a near suspension for my laugh. So you did not. So though you participated um, a little bit. In your dad's life, you did not work for him until later. You well, did not no. do any like outside of you know, like stuff. When he teen had, jobs. When like he, you know, when you get jobs when you're a kid, did you did you work for your dad as a kid or no? You never did that stuff. I, really, I started like, working full-time. for my dad when I was like twelve. I worked from all you know during the summers because he had the post house, so I'd put stickers on. So VHS he already had tapes. it by that time. Yeah, okay. There's no labor yeah. laws in Hollywood, everyone. Yeah, he, he had the the, <laughs> the post house in the eighties. Oh, okay. So okay, you know, um, so you did more of the post side <laughs> stuff mostly for your for your odd jobs. My father produced shows in the eighties while building up the post house okay and as the post house reached a certain level it was just too much to focus on anything else so yeah and it's, it's a consistent it, job and it's well, pays yeah, the bills money, blah, blah, yeah, blah absolutely blah, blah. it was a great business although i do remember uh you know uh when you know around the year 2000 when non-linear editing came out oh god when you know editing bays it would cost a million dollars to build an edit bay and then all of a sudden it went to two hundred thousand, and then nobody needed you know, I mean, yeah, post houses or anything. I was going to ask if that, Oof. like, what happened? Well, there, yeah, lightning dubs; those are all gone, right? Remember that? Those I used are... to have to do runs to lightning dubs. You get your your VHS tapes wrapped in that big rubber band. You'd be like, oh, cool. <laughs> that, that Fultron used to work at lightning dubs. Yep. That's hilarious. I My dad if was actually at lightning dubs when he. Uh, oh, really? When he worked there. Yeah. Little side note. Yeah, yeah. past Small guest world. meets now guest's yeah. dad. Yeah. Everyone's like, what? No, everybody knows who Fultron is. But dude, no, I, I know. I started working for my dad. You know. Ever since I was a little kid, okay. you know, he'd bring me in. And, and the coolest, it was actually really cool because he, his uh, post house specialized in music videos. So all the guys oh, that nice. worked there were long haired rock and roll. <laughs> they, they'd wear stretch pants and fucking creepers with leather yeah. jackets. Dad, it and smells shit. like skunks out behind the bar, behind the building. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we got a skunk problem. That, you know, I we gotta got tell you, being a kid, it was fucking really okay. cool. These yeah. guys would come in, they talk about getting how trashed they got and who they slept with on the weekend. And I remember being, you know, a little kid going, yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> that's yeah. so funny. I just wasn't up. old enough. I just wasn't old enough. I didn't have a car. I like, I right. had no way. Your, your, the, you know. your, your version of that would be like, I stole three beers from my dad and me and my friends went out behind the old oak tree in the backyard at like 1030 and we downed those <laughs> and smoked a cigarette and then came back inside. Yeah. And that's you and you're going to school like, oh yeah, we had a crazy night last night. But See, yeah, that's, that, that would be, I mean... You know, they, those there were cigarette machines. We get the cigarettes from the God, cigarette goodness. machines, and you could wait just a minute. Put, those don't exist know. anymore, do they? No, no, I mean, we're not even at bars. Right? Well, here's the deal I've seen them as recently as f- within the last five years. Here, no, oh, okay. nowhere that I've seen in LA, unless it's like uh, in a display case. But um, I think I've seen, I think there's a couple in Warrenville, to be okay. honest, my hometown, that, that the, the bar still has them. I feel like I remember going, oh, my God, I want to buy a pack of cigarettes just because look at this machine. <laughs> but I haven't been into that bar for like five, six years, so I wouldn't know if they still do that. They that's something don't. just for us. I don't, I don't think like now cigarette machines, like that whole pull the pole thing. The pole thing, yeah. yeah. Like, that's just for us. You know, No one else will know about that. I, I yeah. did see an e-cigarette machine in Vegas. Ooh, e-cigarette. Wow. And it looked like a beverage dispenser. With like a little automatic arm, that yeah, eh, eh, eh. yeah, so. <laughs> they've come a long way in the vending machine game. They have, and the slot machine game. Yeah, I yeah. Would, I would grab quarters from my parents, and I would go up the street to uh, the Sportsman's Lodge. Oh my god, which is still there, Coldwater Adventure. Yeah, actually, you know Many what? A comedy show nights there. I have to also, Brian. We have to get back to this. 
I met you at the sportsman. Oh, you did? Lodge. Oh. That's where it was. That's okay. where we met. Neither the of them sportsmen, but the hanging out at the met. sportsman's lodge. <laughs> but uh, I used to go there as a kid, and they had a cigarette machine, and I'd go there with two dollars and quarters, and I would I would just go. When and cigarettes I'd... cost a normal amount of money. That's what two, do they cost now? Like twenty bucks a pack. They're like fifteen in some places. New York, I think they're fifteen now. Like it's. Like, if you're still smoking, it's like, dude, get a hold of yourself. You know how much money you're wasting on a day? And now it's not even like an image thing. Everyone who looks at you when you smoke is like, really, dude? Yeah. You didn't get the fucking memo about the price and the cancer and everything that's going on? No one told you? Yeah. You just And you still think yeah. like, now, nah, dude, got my window cracked. I'm going to have a fucking cig yeah. in here. Like, what? I see that in Arizona. People driving around with their kids in the car and the windows roll. If you see it in Chicago, you're like, oh, you fucking pigs. I see more people smoking weed in their cars now than I do oh, cigarettes. Oh, I see a lot. I love that. A guy in a huge truck. Pretending with, like with he's not knee. smoking weed, which there's no way to pretend oh, no, you're not. This, I saw a guy the other day with his knee. He was driving a five-ton. He had his knee and a fucking, just a giant bowl. <laughs> and a light. He's like, <laughs> going through an intersection. Just I was like, Jesus. oh, this guy doesn't uh, crash into a phone pole. I don't yeah. know. What's gonna... See, those are the people that that's what everybody points to when they say don't legalize marijuana. They're Ow. the knuckleheads. What? That guy didn't crash? He had a nice... That's you know about dude look my, my point is you shouldn't be doing that anyway not not stoned unprovoked by weed my friend ryan took out three thousand dollars worth of lights at the binion horseshoe casino with a five-ton truck right i got in that truck the next day after we settled the damage with them i backed this thing into an overhang at the sunset gower studio <laughs> okay, you, ripping, neither one of you should be ripping driving. a chunk of the top right off neither of us were high my point is, accidents happen. And you don't have those jobs anymore. Well, no, no. Ryan could never work the festival again. We blame both accidents on him. <laughs> I got overpaid the next year because there was one less driver. I got overpaid! <laughs> what I'm saying is Come it worked on. out for me. It worked out for me. <laughs> that's, the real, that's the real moral to that story. Ryan's been struggling ever since. Oh, shit. That's amazing. Oh, you made, you made Ian laugh so hard he lost his headphones. I'm his headphones went flying. I'm back. You're right. So, um... So uh, back to Ian. Ian, so w- at what point, um, so you did the Bon Jovi stuff. Did you ever get another? Wait, no, like, wait, tele- we, you didn't say what songs they were. What were the titles of the songs? Well, maybe he doesn't remember because he didn't give a shit. He was a skateboarder. I guarantee you he has them on tape. They're on YouTube. Uh, it was uh, 95 was something for the pain. And then in 96, it was lie to me. If you okay. don't love me, lie to me, John. So these were the dark years, is what you're saying. So yeah, I was going to say these are Bon Jovi or songs. These were the, we'll, call, we'll, call, we'll, call the, we'll call these after the Keeping the Faith album. Yeah, no. Got to be honest with you. Like I didn't. Okay, I was not so a big was between that and have a nice day. Pretty sure. So here's the thing. So Bon Jovi and John will make fun of me for this probably. But so Bon Jovi was probably. like they were big. Obviously, you know when I was in high school, and then they had some like you're talking about. There was those kind of like the post Nirvana years, if you will. Yep. And then I remember I moved out here in 2000, and my buddy uh, Jeff Castellas, he uh, is in the music business, and I remember him taking me to a radio. Concert at uh, I think it was at the El Rey, ah. and uh, Bon Jovi was one of the bands. And I remember we were all we were wandering around backstage, and they were all kind of hanging out back there. And I was like, Bon Jovi, come on, man. laughing at them. And yeah. then they got on stage, and I was like, Yeah, Bon Jovi! Like they all of a sudden they were like they're good showmen, right? Great like, showmen. And they're I, I performers, performers, dude. They and are I remember catching myself like going, Oh my god, I got wooed in. Like yeah. I was mocking them moments before, and then they got up there, you know, and they rocked it Bon Jovi style. And I was like, I'm so in. You guys loving it. That's, oh, yeah. that's something I think we learn as we get older. Like that whole, like, do you remember that you'd be into a band and then it would be not cool? So you'd be like, yeah, 
yeah, that band sold out. You'd make an excuse to rip on that band. But if oh, yeah. you really still liked them, you were still putting them in your car stereo. You're still playing them at home. You're like, yeah, the new Metallica sucks. Like, Blackened is the end. Like, you would just, you'd be, you'd suck. Uh, yeah, no, the new Slayer is really slow. But then you'd be like, oh my God, this is fucking awesome. Like, and yeah. you would still be into it. But I think as you get older, you just, you just, are, you're like, this is who I am. Like now, like, yeah, no, I, li- I listen, I'll listen to Bon Jovi when they're on the radio. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't go out and buy their albums. But if someone said, hey, I got a ticket to Bon Jovi, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go with you. Yeah. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, you just stop, you stop, like, I listen to pretentious it. anymore. Music is, yeah. you're all over the place. If you're not all over the place musically, like, what have you been doing with your life? Like, where have you been? I agree. Well, and I think that when you're younger, you use this music or these movies to identify yourself. Yeah. So you're like, I'm not this old, washed so out narrow, piece of yeah. shit. I'm and new, hip dude. Now that we're all, you know, 500 years old, we yeah. understand that it's all an illusion and bullshit. Exactly. And even Metallica <clears throat> doesn't fucking act like Metallica at home. <laughs> right. It's probably, you know. Yeah. They're not like ordering pizzas to their neighbor's house and drinking bottles of vodka. They're raising their kids like, human beings well music is all about the experience just as filmmaking and television is it's like you shouldn't narrow your focus to only one style you should you should try at least whether you like it or not in the end it try to experience a little bit of everything that's what life you know you get to get to that age you're like i'm gonna start sampling i'm gonna start taste testing everything because you just never know you're willing to open yourself up but you're right when you're a kid you narrow your focus because that's your identity and that's your middle fingers is what is the stuff that you keep around you your your posters to you know, what you say to where you tag, yeah. all that stuff, that's just who but, you are. But do you think because of the internet today, like the way things are, the kids are actually growing up a little more open-minded because they're so exposed. Like, there was just no, some they're stuff- overexposed and they have they can't make a decision. They that's, that's the difference. That, okay, it's too, they're freaking too much. Out. Because I was going to say, like, I never had, there was a lot of stuff I just didn't see or know about until I got older. You know what I mean? I, it's not that my parents were sheltering me, it's just that radio stations didn't play it. I didn't buy it at the tape store or wherever I was. You know what I mean? So it's like, how am I going to hear it? And, and, and you know, with the internet, I'm just feeling like you get, there is maybe no, there's overstimulation. It, the there's overstimulation, just so many choices now. It's the next button. It's like, you know what? But there's more. So I, I don't have time for all of this. There's I should go somewhere else. And then they yeah. don't really spend the time to try to experiment and really get the full, you know. Yeah, when we bought tapes, we listened to those tapes. You had no choice. I, yeah, I was like... I, you just rode your bike all the way there, and you rode your bike all the way fucking home. You're not yeah. riding your bike all the way back to fucking get something else. And you're, also, you're like, listen to this first. My Walkman had a... I had a, kind of, towards the end there, I had a, a Walkman that re- did the automatic reverse, so I didn't have to take the tape out or anything. Yeah, so, uh, Futuristic. So, I don't, yeah. I'm not trying to brag, but I was... Well, into, you did. You I, just was into, did. I was into robots before... Uh, <laughs> Robots were a thing. Yeah. So your career, um, if, if, if your childhood act, did you ever get any other like major shows that allowed you to continue to be uh, the guy that gets laid at high school? I did, and okay. I, I had a one big one that could have changed my life, and it didn't. Um, I got a pilot uh, when I was seventeen. This okay. was before the Bon Jovi videos. It was called The Swirlies. It was a '90s day version of the Monkees that Nickelodeon had put out, and okay. I, I booked the lead singer in the band. And you were the hit, Davy Jones of the whole thing. Yeah, he we was. And so, if had it hit, had it hit, I, I would have probably been Miley Cyrus's, you know, older brother in some Disney show, or OD'd by now. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Who knows? John, you nailed it. You nailed Sometimes it. Sometimes that shit doesn't work out for a reason. Well, and, and you know what? So I, w- I want to speak a little bit to that because that was my experience. So you know, by getting the Bon Jovi videos, by doing these these pilots, by doing all this stuff, I had access to. And you know, it's just, they, let's go back to that Drew Barrymore story. You know, yeah. I, I love her story because she admits straight up that when she ended up on set as a young kid, she was given coke by the crew. Yeah. Well, you're exposed to the crew. You're exposed to a lot of guys who I would call pirates, and I was no different. 
And so by the age of 17, I had been offered everything. I mean, I had had directors send prostitutes to my trailer. I mean, I'm 17 years wow. old. Wow. So Jesus, I won't underbelly. go into the details. We can have another show for that. Um, <laughs> Called details. Called details. What, what that makes you do is that makes you go sober at 19. So growing up in L.A., you grow well, up very quick. That may, that's what it made you do. Yep. And that is... So you've uh, been sober since you were 19. Absolutely. So you were just you were you were just you were like I'm not I'm not I'm not doing the blow I'm not. Did you how far did you go drug wise? Well, this is this is a great question. So it was a three month stint with my buddy Ben Markowitz. Oh, ecstasy was the one, and we would do this thing called candy flipping where we yeah. take LSD and ecstasy. ecstasy. Sure. And I remember you I don't know, even there's know a what the hell that means. What does that do to you? Makes you go crazy. <laughs> it's a, it's got to be interesting, man. How is that the effects fun, are a little bit different. It's a, it's a hallucinogenic. Well, you know, taking ecstasy makes you feel like you're in love. So that's sure. always fun. Okay, all right. But then you throw something else on top of it. Where's the fun? It would get weird because we'd be at rave parties and it'd be dark. It'd be like, mm, 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 mm. And then all of a sudden the lights would go on and you'd be like, everyone would look like zombies. You'd be like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then the lights would go off and you mm, 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 back to it and you can keep going. Yeah. So, you know, once I realized what, where I actually was, I kind of looked at the moon one night and in a drug-induced trance, I said, you may die soon, young man. And those words actually penetrated myself, and that no didn't more sound of that right. shit. No, but I got what you mean. Did they didn't mean go up your butthole? They meant like you you got what those words Let you were saying. Let me revise that, John. They went straight up my butthole. <laughs> Perfect. They so made an impact. It wasn't about. It's like for me growing up, it was always about how can you get your hand on, hand on some beers. I mean, it sounds like for you guys, it was like how can I get my my hands on some fucked up drugs? Well, it and See how fucked up I can get. It really isn't about the alcohol. The alcohol seems like it seems like now alcohol is such a. I'm not trying to. Diminish those that are alcoholics. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is that's not the candy anymore for no. kids, right? But I think it, they, they, I think it, what, their situation in particular, just living out here, being involved in that industry. And the accessibility. The accessibility. They just move past alcohol so much quicker. Like, think about getting beer when you were like 15 years old. It was a pain in the ass. You had to go to a liquor store, wait for some asshole to come out, give him money, hope to God he didn't walk out the back with your money. <laughs> do it again and again until some jerk-off bought you a party ball. You know what I mean? That You had to do that... <clears throat> and it wasn't like, and then when weed started coming around, it was like that was even a hey, can you get? Yeah, I got to call nine different people, and we have to travel five hundred miles, and it's like, you know what? Never mind, dude. So it's like <laughs> it becomes like a hassle. Whereas everything is just handed to you. You're talking like people are sending you prostitutes. Do you know what it would have taken for me to get a prostitute at seventeen? I, I would have been walk us through it. I would have had to go to the <laughs> ma. Can I borrow the minivan? And then I would have had to go downtown, and I would have drive around and going, I'm sorry, are you a lady of the night? Because I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. And then it would have been just been awkward. My mom would be in the mini like it smells like sex in here. What happened? And I would be in trouble immediately. Yeah, you would. And you know, that conversation, initiating that conversation with the prostitute is, is a very difficult one. I can't imagine. I can't it's an I'm awkward not, one, so right? So I do you would you like my, my penis out or do you want the money or <laughs> yeah. how are we doing this? It's my first time. I, I don't do this all the time. Uh, yeah. Believe it or not, this is my yeah, I know it's your first time, dude. I can tell. Like oh, Oh, what was the what was the 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 movie the credit was it virgin something um, the the movie the forty year old virgin no 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 no, no. From, our, from our youth pretty woman no the the virgin movie there was the first virgin movie oh I can't remember was it the kids go to, to Tijuana oh or my Mexico? god Boston um, uh, I can't remember but no, it was all losing about, it losing it yeah losing all about it. virginity Tom yeah. Cruise losing and uh, is Anthony Edwards in that I movie think so. like I Shelley Long I remember seeing that movie I watched that movie five times in one night at my friend Kyle's. Uh, birthday party it was a sleepover, and that because there's boobs in it, and they talk about like dope, and they, I was like, I was like, oh my god, what is this movie? <laughs> Sounds I, great, dude. I thought it was the greatest movie ever. I thought it was. I'm like Spanish Fly, <laughs> which is really just a roofie. 
You find out just, as you get older, like, I don't think you should be giving people Spanish fly. But yeah. like that movie, you were like, if I want to get laid, I'm going to get my hands on some Spanish fly. And then Cosby, you look at his act from back in the day. He's like, well, boy, you got the Spanish fly and the chicks be doing what? And you're like, oh, you fuck, you've been a rapist your whole life? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> the secrets were right there in front of you the whole time. You just didn't even know. Dude, it, right? That's I'm what it sorry. Seems the like. weirdest clip I saw was that Cosby show clip. Have you seen this where he's no. got he's made a special barbecue sauce and the barbecue sauce is his old family recipe and it's bound to get Claire horny. Literally, this is the plot of the barbecue sauce part of the so Wait, you're the, talking about Cosby sweater the, years? The Cosby show. Yeah. So he puts the barbecue sauce, it horns out, and everyone's like, ooh, having a good time, the adults. And then all of a sudden, like, Kenny, Rudy's buddy, eats the thing and he's like, Hi, Rudy. And, <laughs> and everyone starts laughing. Bill Cosby runs over and grabs the plate from him. He's like, uh uh-uh, uh, no chicken for you. And he runs off with it. But I'm like, is fucking weird. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, my God. barbecue sauce will. It's basically roofies crushed up, and then I just rub it on chicken. Uh, yeah, dude, Cosby's had an inside joke for years with himself, and and that's everything that I think about related to Cosby is with what that behavior is now in mind. Yeah, it's almost like he's like, oh, I'm doing this and no one's going to know or care and no I'll make it No one's going to know. There's a power thing involved there though too, right? Like he became one of the most powerful people in the world, you he know, did. back when television still mattered the way. And it he, doesn't, I don't think it has that power that when he carried that power. Dude, he was though. and let's talk a little bit about that because people don't know about that time. I mean, dude, the Cosby show was the biggest show. It was like the Cosby show, Family Ties, Cheers. These are huge shows. And, and, th- and Massive. This, was, this controlled Hollywood. Yeah. These are, you're like, you just named like the top four or five shows that were in the top five of the ratings every week. And TV guide, like. And before yeah. we go back to that deeper, would you guys agree that you don't have that type of power in Hollywood now? Television doesn't have that power because it's so splintered now. But back then, that was power, power. You were a powerhouse back then, correct? When you Nobody say was going things. to expose Bill Cosby because he made so many people so much money. No, not even just there, that. But I'm just saying in general, you were, were just real this, gatekeepers. Yeah, that exi- that they they kept the gate real tight back yeah. then. There was a select few that they, were like had all the power because I mean the numbers that those shows were pulling in because they didn't have the internet the way we have it now. They didn't have all the distractions. They controlled what I mean when you, when you watched it. Everybody watched it. Every Everybody watched it. Everybody watched it. I don't even know what the structure of family shows is anymore. I don't think there's a lot of family shows where like I would sit down with my kids and my wife and watch them together, but but they don't have the same power. Well, right, but they're not because they're it's not it's eight o'clock on Thursday, kids. We're gonna watch the Cosby Show. Nobody does that anymore. Your kids know the shows. They can go Hulu, Netflix, whatever, and they just look them up and they watch them whenever they feel like. There is no urgency to watch anything right away anymore, except for spoilers and jerk offs on the internet who are like, I can't, John Snow, and you're like, I'm gonna find out where you live. I'm gonna fucking cut you down. You at the still knees. haven't seen the end of that yet? No, I've seen it all. I'm all oh, caught up. Okay. But I'm well, just we, saying, I won't wreck that because there's probably some people who still haven't that's seen it. That's it. You shouldn't wreck it. We should all the night of. If you haven't seen the night of, you should still watch. I haven't watch seen the night that of. yet either. And if we, and, <laughs> and and if we, I I firmly believe this. I know I tried to make it a bit that I talk about on stage, but I firmly believe this. If you're gonna talk about TV in public, you're gonna talk about TV in public. Take a note from how your uncle tells racist jokes. The way he looks around before he's like, hey, you know, you know any black people? And then he looks around, he's like, hi, hi, hi. And then he tells you a terrible, awful joke. You should be like, hey, you watch The Walking Dead? And then you should look around and make sure no one else can hear you. And then you should continue your conversation about The Walking Dead with another human being who's seen it and is caught up with you. Um, so, uh, I, again, we, we, we did. That was good. We, we spiraled. And I love the spirals. Um, the uh, for you, uh, when did you finally stop doing 
Yeah, when did the when did the gas run out? Acting or drugs? Yeah, act, acting. Oh, no, well, you said right at the same time. <laughs> was it or no? Or okay, so um, I had been acting since I was thirteen, and mm-hmm. I auditioned quite a bit, and I lived the life of an actor, and I started really realizing what it took. It takes a lot if you really want to be an actor yeah. and actress in Hollywood. Your minimum five thousand dollars a month that you can burn for hair, wardrobe, trainers, classes. And you just need to put it out there. For that's years. crazy. That kind of expenses, yeah. Just minimum. To survive, that's minimum. Yeah. That's that's minimum. You you need to see a, a, a trainer. You need to see people. I mean, depending on who you want to be as an actor. I mean, yeah, right, yeah. Right. I, if I started training, people were like I don't want a ripped goonie guy with a beard. I want <laughs> yeah. a goonie oaf. Like, what yep. are you doing? And this was and for me, you know, it was a weird thing. I never... Davy Waynes is your trainer. Go ahead, Davy Waynes. Yeah, it's called Pabst. It's going to go down thirty <laughs> at a time. You need a big lump right oh, here. Oh yeah, it's, it's muscle. No, but you know, for me, I I always got one type of role, and it was always like a like a lead role, so I never got the sidekick. So for me, it was always yeah. You I had, had to, to you're look a good looking guy. Great. You had to be I had to be ripped, and I just started getting tired of it. And for me, the the thing that L.A. keeps you from doing is living a normal life. So you know, everything I'm talking about is absolutely abnormal. There's nothing normal about it, but what that leaves guys like me and Andrew wanting is normalcy. So I wanted to get married. I got married in my early 20s. I was 24. She was 22. And I realized the one thing that I couldn't do was drag her through the actor life. And so I actually stopped acting when I got married as kind of a gift to my wife. Wow. I still love acting. I'll jump in front of the camera and be an absolute jackass, but... It does, it's not a driving force anymore. I don't want to live that lifestyle. I don't want to drag her. I don't want her to be like, well, did you get the part? Did you not get the part? It's hope deferred makes the heart sick, and I believe every actor and actress is eventually heart sick at some point. It doesn't yeah, mean you should stop. Almost all the time. Yeah. It's a good thing, but I had done it for 10 years, and I was like, I don't want to drag this lovely, beautiful lady through the same thing. So. so she was obviously not with you because you were an actor. She was with you because she liked you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we met each other. We had met nothing to do with show business. She has nothing to do with show business, and I kind of like that. About that's her. cool. That's what you. Yeah, yeah. Last yeah, thing yeah. you ever did. Last thing I ever did was not another teen movie. I played the character of Marty, and I got split in half, and it was hard to end. It was, it was hard to get anything better than that. I had to end on a good note. So, that's, wow. so you basically died. The last thing you ever did. I died. That's great. That's and it awesome. feels great. Yeah. Poetic. Feels great. But, you know, it's fun. You know, Andrew and I will get in front of the camera every once in a while. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't I think about it. It's actually a little bit more pure for me. Yeah. Because well, you're having fun and it's not such a worried, like, I hope I get this part. Well, I hope yeah. This audition goes well. And we didn't even actually talk about that. But all these actors and actresses, I mean, you're talking about lottery. Like, every part is a lottery. Fuck it's yeah. life-changing money, potentially. It's life-changing everything. And it's a lot. I mean, if you're running around with that adrenaline rush for how many years... Your body's going to start giving out at a certain point. You're going to be like, I don't know if I can not get this part again. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I'd get so nervous because it was more it was more about what it meant after than it was about the actual experience. And I remember kind of almost sabotaging myself because I just didn't want to open myself up to the reality of everything changing, you know? Because yeah. if you get that if you get that lead role in a far off place and you're starring with Reese Witherspoon, everything's changed for you. You're right. not you're not it's not going to be normal. You may not finish the school year. You may miss your prom. Yeah. Well, you don't get that back. You don't get that prom back. So one of the things that I love about Andrew and I is that... That you guys put, made your own prom. We went to prom <laughs> together, and um, we fucked the first time. And Beautiful. so it's always good to look at him and know that <laughs> we did it together and we're still yeah, in touch. Yeah, that's right. So well, you guys knew each other in high school. You obviously knew he was the actor. At what, now you, and you said you got... You obviously made it post... Uh, did you go to college? Uh, yeah, so I was on the fast track to go to CalArts. Okay. And then I found out how much it cost. Okay. Here so I go. didn't go. Okay, yeah. so you so okay, so then you just kind of moved into another career on that stuff. So with so just not to jump around too much, but for you and your your high school um life, was it pretty standard Southern California Valley high school life? And when was it where you 
you yourself developed an interest in entertainment, but yours was in the stand-up comedy side. And how old did you, when you were like, I'm going to do this? Well, I never thought about earning money. I never thought of having a live. I never thought of anything other than like fun until I was about 17, 18. And it was around that Again, time. standard. But that's, I was start say, that's thinking, not like, abnormal. Yeah. What am I going to do? Did you, well, did you go to college? I went, okay, begrudgingly. I went to Santa Barbara City College uh, because I just really wanted to fuck around. More. Yeah. I just loved <laughs> You went what to I high was, school part two. <laughs> I loved what I was doing in LA. My friends were here. I didn't need any, you know. I okay. Just, I just wanted to get my own place and do me. Okay. And, you know, my parents really, you know, sent so the me deal to, was go to school, we'll pay for school and a place for you to live. And you were like, great, this all sounds well, great. Th- that didn't really even sound that good. But okay. then they sent me there. They oh, yeah. sent me Santa there. Barbara. They sent me there for a weekend. I partied my fucking brains out. I made out with three chicks, and <laughs> and that's I came it. Home. That's where I'm going to college. I came home and I said, "Yeah, I could do this for a year or two. This is this is this is good. I can do this." I remember somebody so, once seeing the website for um, Santa Monica College, and on the front page it was like Santa Monica College, and it showed a picture of the students like dancing with Madonna, and they're like, "This is ridiculous. Why would you put that on there? That has nothing to do with school." And I was like, "Oh, it has everything to do with how they're getting you go to the yeah, school, dude. You're you have to think Madonna. of the mind." of someone who is not in college yet correct they see that they're like fuck yeah yeah mom and dad i'm sure there's some great books there somewhere too but i'm going there to fucking dance with madonna you know so so when i'm in college i'm in city college i'm saying to myself you know what what am i gonna do and i started thinking about careers like normal careers and so i said all right well uh uh i'm gonna major in behavioral psychology that's my major yeah you just make that up when they ask. No, you? but people who take no. acid. You took a lot of acid in I, high school or whatever. I, I was very interested. <laughs> no, I did. I didn't take uh, hallucinogenics till college. Oh, okay. freshman, the freshman lot, year, in college, but it's around the like, same time, John. Yeah, like like I wanna, I'm going to study the brain because it's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Well, I realized from taking the mushrooms that there were just different compartments inside your mind, and, and you I can just, hide stuff places. <laughs> weird, you can man. go to fucking town and it's yeah. inside your mind. Yeah. And so. I, a little Bill Hicks segment here. I, I realized that, and I was like, I want to study that. So I studied. I started studying behavioral psychology. I thought I'd be a good therapist. I had you know plenty of uh, friends that would open up to me and tell me things, and you know I, I felt like I was pretty good at you know Easy secrets, and it would you know it all kind of fit together. I was like, all right, I could do this. And then I took this acting class, and it was just by chance the guy the guy made it really cool, really spiritual, and and he told me that I was really good, and I was like, all right, well. If this guy says I'm good, I'm good. But that's exactly what it. That's what a teacher, or professor is supposed to do. They're supposed to yeah, encourage to keep you, you at the school in a spot that you might not have money. ever thought. Like if he would have never given you any words of encouragement and just said, "Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you're fine." Like, you would have been like, "Oh, okay." But he encouraged you, and that changed your life. It really did. Yeah. That and around that time of eating mushrooms and taking ecstasy, it was like I think my heavy drug use was in that. What's you know, your professor's which is, which name? Perfect, Professor Mushrooms. Was, it's a perfect <laughs> time for all of that because that's when it your brain perfect. is like, "Let's figure out what we're who, doing here." Yeah, my my brain was like, "Who you, dude?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you, especially growing up, and I'm not saying you had this, but like. You know, your dad, like you're surrounded by all these people. You go with your dad to work. You're like, my God, this is fucking crazy. And like, but who are you? Are you are you the guy you're relating to in the on the screen? Are you the who are? You? I mean, that's the whole question you're asking as a kid and growing up. It's like, and you think it sounds so simple, and it's just not. It's not. I I, I had an out of body experience. I, I hate to get like it was so mystical, but it kind of was. You know, it kind of was. I had this moment where I'll never forget it. I was high as fuck on mushrooms. I was at the Santa Barbara Bowl. Uh, there oh, was, Santa Barbara Roll's beautiful. Oh, it was beautiful. There, there was a band 
called Dishwalla. Dishwalla. Oh my God! You were on Tell mushrooms. Me all and your thoughts on God. That's the song, Brian. I have an autographed. Uh, okay. <laughs> I used to work in radio, and I always laugh at that one. I'm like, oh, that's all I got is. out of it. I got an autographed Dishwalla. I think we're like 40 shows in a row where Brian's mentioned he used to work on radio. Now I'm going to tell you something about Dishwalla, Brian. Dishwalla changed your life. I don't like one of those songs. No, they're terrible. <laughs> that song, they're horrible. They're they were horrible. But opening up for that's Dishwalla, it. I liked them. Wait, in you a, were opening a, up for Dishwalla no, no, no. on a mushrooms? Ra- in a rare, oh. a rare occurrence, it was like I was fucking living in Bizarro World, porno for pyros. Oh, okay. was opening up for Dishwalla, oh, which makes dude. no sense. But yeah. makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Makes no sense. But I was on mushrooms and I had fucking like, tickets. Yeah. I was going. Oh, porno for pyros was great. And I saw Perry Farrell on stage, and yeah. I looked down, and he fucking had this moment that he had with with his crowd. And he gave it to us, good boy. I don't, I don't remember the exact words, but I remember how it made me feel. And very shortly after that show and that night, I said, fuck college. What am I doing here in Santa Barbara living in this tiny little town? I need to go back to L.A. where, where things are happening. I need to go, you know, get in that, in that game. You were that ready to like, dive in. I was ready. I yeah. was ready. So, I, 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 so 10 years later. Yeah, so I gave up. <laughs> I, gave, I gave up school. You finally school. left I, yeah. 10 years later. Yeah, no. No, you, uh, left, you left right away. Yeah. Gone. Now, and so, all right, I know we're going to, we have to, um, only for time purposes, we're going to, we'll skip, a, you know, the, the stand-up comedy and all that stuff is fun. That's how you and I met. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that real quick. But then I want to get into how you guys, each, your evolutions as producers, because yours is unique related to the internet and yours is really unique related to no money. So, um, uh, the stand-up comedy thing, you, you dabbled, you decided to dabble in it. And why that? Why that choice of all the things you could have done based on your experiences here? Well, the thing was, is that, when I had that moment where I was like, oh, this is, this is your path, I said to myself, okay, well, you know, what do you, what do, you do? And you start, you, I, I think I called uh, a few people and a few agencies. I didn't know better. I was just, I called, I was like, hi, I'm a, I'm a Los Angeles-based actor. I'm thinking they, <laughs> might, <laughs> they must want to meet me. I mean, they'll, you know, I'll send them a headshot. They'll call me back. I remember, I remember stacking piles of headshots. Dude, isn't that crazy? I remember going through the, the drama log. Calling photographers, trying to trying to get someone to shoot me for a hundred bucks. Yeah, you know, <laughs> black and white. It was the first time I, I re- encountered the thing of like you you don't own your own pictures. The photographer owns your headshots. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Where are these going? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I just went through all these crazy you know times, and uh, I I went on a bunch of auditions. I actually got uh, the the first thing that I I went out for. I got it, and I was like, "Fuck, this is easy." Which <laughs> is where, yeah. So you, yeah, yeah, exactly. beginner's luck. Yeah, One yeah, of those yeah. guys threw a quarter into a slot machine, and I won a million dollars. Exactly. And so, you know, I'm saying to myself, "This is really meant to be." <laughs> well, <laughs> so it's. I mean, but it's stupid. No, and, because it, in a sense, yeah. it is. If you if you get that one, you get that first thing, and you're like, "Oh shit." Maybe I am. I have a gift. Maybe I am a natural. Whatever it is, but at least that one thing, yeah, that keeps you hanging on, yeah, and, and that the, keeps you going forward. And, and so, and so from from there, it was literally. I was like, I I can do this. I got it. I went for. No, I got nothing for for uh, for a while. I got nothing but bad audition, and and I said to myself, you know, stand up comedy is something I always wanted to do, and it was something where. At least, if anything, no one could stop me from doing it. No one could yeah. say, "Hey, you can't go to that open mic tonight." No one could say, "Hey, you can't." Yeah, you're stage. not. You weren't cast for the open mic. You weren't. Right. You weren't right for the part of the open micer. So that's it. And I did it. I did. I did. And I did comedy for you know eight years. I spent eight years, uh, you know, becoming a, a comedian. Uh, I worked at the comedy store for like six months. It was some of the best times of my life. 
Uh, you know, it's and, so funny. You never talk about Second City. Yeah. I, well, Second City's not stand up. Yeah, but no. But, but did you do Second comedy? City? Yeah, I went. Yeah, to, yeah. I went how to long did you do that for? That. How did you do? How long did you do that for? Two years. So, okay. Yeah. And Second to, City has was, phases, right? You have to kind of like you go up a. Well, what I did was I started at the bottom <clears throat> level. I started at the Improv for Actors, which wasn't even the conservatory. So this was when it first opened up, and it was next door to the Improv, mm-hmm. and it was, so it was like this is maybe two thousand one. Okay. And uh, so I went there. Not affiliated and, with the Improv, correct? Or no, was no. it was not okay. No, well, it was, they shared a building, but they were, but I think they were two companies. And so when I did when I did uh, Second City, I went there. I did the Improv for Actors one through three, and then I did the Conservatory levels one through five, and I, I graduated. And uh, my you uh, went all the way through. Oh yeah. Oh okay. That's huge, right? Yeah. yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Why you you should lead with that? Oh. I don't know why you don't. It's weird. Lead where though? Where is he leading it to? Uh, the comedy story into stand up, you know, oh, wow. like I didn't even know that he graduated from Second City until after we were partners for two and a half years. <laughs> oh wow! Obviously, but here's the thing, though. It it sounds to me like even when you talk about it, you're like, yeah, I did that, but that doesn't seem to be your inspiration. It seems like it's like it seems like it was something you did, but you you talk about the comedy story and you get a big smile on your face. You 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 detail out the two years at Second City, and you're like, yeah, I completed it, and you know, I got my diploma and my cap and everything, and, and you're like. And then you're like, yeah, so anyway, like it seems like it was there, but it wasn't there as big as some other things were in your life, inspirationally. For me, comedy stand-up was the most yeah. important. And you know, you, you, you try a lot of different things, and I think that I was doing stand-up while I was also at Second City. So for me, in my mind, it wasn't really... It was, it was more... Uh, what I learned at Second City was about you know creating material. I had this great teacher named Mark Beltzman, who uh, actually is still one of my dear friends to, to this day. And uh, he was like my improv guru. Uh, and, you know, he taught me a lot about writing through uh, writing material through improv and through Second City. And I, I got a lot of that out of uh, out of that course. And I, I loved it. So, you know. And I, th- I think, um, you know, one of the things that is underrated as far as stand up comedy goes, it's like this is where you learn if you do stand up, you're alone. And you're fighting on your own, and you're learning how to socialize and fight and entertain and organize. Every it's all on you. Everything about it is on you. It's it's the greatest and simultaneously the loneliest and the hardest thing to do because it's all internal maintenance. Everything about it is, which I think makes a lot of people. It's easier for them to become writers. It's easier for them to become producers. It's easier for them to be to move on to directing because they've got all these internal personal challenges that they have fought through if you've done it long enough that helps build who you are and your character can lead into other things because not everybody's going to get that opportunity to be a mark on the one of the marquees one of the three marquees in the city as a stand-up the rest of us are just going to be stand-ups when we say it <laughs> no one's going to know it until you tell up right i mean that's so i think that there's there's so much internal strength that is built by that choice of 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 being willing, willing to be alone and challenge yourself. In fr- you're alone, but challenge yourself in front of st- a large groups of strangers. That's that's how I see it, and I think that 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 does add value to everything that you do in your life. That's my personal opinion about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Agreed. you know, I, I guess I I like the Second City thing so much because I had had a stint at Groundlings, but I I didn't make it past the second class. So well, I, Groundlings, they can just vote. They can just vote you out. Yeah, like, I got voted off. Yes. I got voted off the second. They were class. like, we don't want Matt LeBlanc Jr. in our class. No, Get him out of they here. said my space work was horrible. I couldn't do space work. Yeah. Like, Go you work just kept riding in on a motorbike and taking off your helmet and smiling for the camera. Yeah, I'd hold the whip, but I'd close the hand, so I'd, I I couldn't hold the whip. My teacher would always tell me, you can't hold the whip if your hand's closed. It's got to be like this, and I just would argue with him. So I knew I wasn't cut out for Ian, show us the box is heavy. Stop telling us how heavy it is. 
So and th- when you're angry, you don't have to bang the desk twice. Yeah, and and then so that's why I'm excited about uh, Andrew finishing because um, it's a big accomplishment. I mean, there's not a lot of things that you, you can accomplish in life, and and especially in the enter- entertainment business of all things. Mm-hmm. Right. So to finish two years at Second I, City, I recommend it to anybody. I, I tell anybody to go to Second City, go through the program. It was wonderful for me. That's you know? great. But but I'm saying I think it's a good. <laughs> Accomplishment. <laughs> it, it, it feels ingenuine when you say you'd recommend it to anyone. It doesn't feel like you really <laughs> would. So I guess I get. I'm well, getting mixed well, messages. No, no, we'll I, drill I really on this would. more. I yeah, really lunch. Yeah. yeah, in the yeah. next show. Yeah, yeah. post lunch. Yeah, exactly. Post lunch. So when did you? So all right. So you guys are done. You 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 eventually, as I as I as I alluded to way earlier in the show, you were done with stand up. You decided to pursue a career as a producer, and the but the stuff that you decided to jump into. Um, is not the best of the best. You had to use when we talk about starting at the bottom. Are we talking about porn? Well, no, no, no. I'm talking about budgets. I mean, oh. he, he wanted to learn how to be a producer, and boy, did you learn because making producing stuff with almost no money is is it it seems like the most disrespectful position, but it also I think builds you and turns you into the you ha- the ability to handle any budget. Would you agree with that? I I would, Brian. I would I would also add to that by saying that you know for me and my own journey you know i was really into doing comedy i was really into stand-up and i was having a great time uh doing it but i got to that age where i'd been doing it for like you know seven eight years and i'm saying to myself oh man i gotta make some money you know and it became the reason that i got into into stand-up was because no one could stop me from getting on stage right yeah you don't get fired yeah yeah, so i was like well fuck man I want to be a producer. That way, no one could stop me from, you know, putting myself in the things that I'm that I'm making. Okay, so that was okay. Was, that was like really the thought that transitioned me into getting behind the camera in the first place. And because I had all this experience working at a post house from the, right. the time I was, so a you child, had some understanding. Of I the felt like I had well. something to add, you know. Yeah, and I you got, had a leg up got, too, just in knowledge and and just kind of wherewithal at, and at least in post yeah. delivery. So you know, when it came to <laughs> he got when, very specific there. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, when it came to finishing, I knew how to right. finish. You know, finish a product, a project. I knew about the edit process, the color process, and the you know the audio layback process. I but again, worked. that takes people fucking years, years to even decide they want to learn that. It does. But uh, so what I really wanted to do was be, you know, kind of like everything, but you can't. So I started working on these low budget, shitty little projects. And uh, I just did the best that I I worked, the best miracles that I could make. You know, I'd I'd call, uh, you know, whoever I could. For trying to get the, yeah, trying to get. Well, I mean, some of the budgets, what were some of the low budgets you were working with? When you first started. Lowball Productions presents. (laughs) Right. Well, we, I mean, here's the thing. we would have two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, but it was also the ambition of what you were trying to make. You're trying to shoot for twenty five days. You're trying to, which is you know, do gunshots and squibs, and yes. you're trying to like, you're trying to, you know, you got you got people who think, you know, that they're they're Martin Scorsese with two hundred thousand know? dollars, and in <laughs> in that two hundred thousand so dollars, you have to pay for your crew, your cast. And all the the, the all dreams, dreams, the identities, the locations, the you know, everything, you know, all the food. I mean, that stuff, it gets eaten up real quick, no pun intended. But like, <laughs> and a lot of it, you know, a lot of these people learned very quickly as did you in independent filmmaking, you know, the, the first, once you get past no, the next thing is who's in it. And you're like, I only have two fucking hundred thousand dollars. Who do you think is going to be in it? At the end of the day, it's like, that sounds like a John Huck be movie. realistic here. But like they, but, they, but sometimes you get stuck with people that are very unrealistic of who they think they can obtain. And it's just, and you, you're that guy, you're that stopgap that's got to, at some time, at some point you can only play with the numbers so much. And sometimes you, you, you create magic. And sometimes you can't, and you got to be the good guy and simultaneously the bad guy. You're both cops, right? 
you, you're always creating magic because you're at least in that situation, at least in the first few movies that I, that I got to work on for me, it was, I'm, I'm the production manager. I'm the accountant. I'm the location scout. I'm, I'm the fucking, you know, if, if someone's holding a boom and there's no one to hold it, yeah. you know, you're, you're doing, you know, one rate just so everybody understands at that level, it's one rate. He's oh, not collecting yeah. paychecks. Yeah. For that's, every, everything that's how, you just that's listed. how low, that's how low budget thing. When I, when everyone's like, when everyone calls me and they're like, Hey man, Want to get you on as a producer, dude? And I'm like, okay, what's going on over there? What do you guys got going? Oh man, real tight, lean and mean crew. I'm like, okay, you know what that says to me? Not only am I going to be doing my job, I'm be doing nine other <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah, jobs I don't much. want. You can take this one. I'm good, thanks. It's like I gotta. I had to step away because I was doing too much of that stuff, and that was not what I wanted to do. And you know what, John? Yeah. There's levels of it too, yeah. where where like you're like sometimes you get done with a movie, you're like, oh, I'm never doing that again. I'm that, and then you get a call, and you're like, and then sweet work, yeah. <laughs> but isn't it a lot like doing your first open mic where you're like, that was fucking horrible, but I want to do it again. Like you because you know you you see the end game. You have to know where your growth is. Like there are some people that never got out of the two hundred thousand dollar film industry, and they. They're, they look like they're 80, but they're only, you know, they're only 37. And it's like they, they bury that stress in them and they're barely making any money. They can barely afford an apartment here, but they just want to keep making movies. They don't, then they don't care what movies they're making anymore. Everything becomes a paycheck. Everything is a grind. And to me at that point, like, why are you even doing it? Like you got to have, you want to have to be able to grow. You want to go from like a $50,000 budget to a $250,000 budget to a 500000 and up and up and up and up and no, and never give yourself a ceiling. Otherwise, what are where's your growth, like your personal growth there? Would you agree with that? I, I would agree that, the, that it's a process mm-hmm. and no matter what, when you're doing a movie, no matter what job you're working, the whole thing's a process and there's going to be good and things that you love about it, moments of just bliss and then there's going to be moments of frustration being overwhelmed, seeing complications where you don't know how you're going to solve those complications. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're making a fucking movie. When, yeah. the, when the train leaves the station, you're making the movie. Yeah. You know, and so you have everything that goes with that process, the good, the bad. And then when you get done, usually there is this thing of like, oh, man, I need to go. I need to go drink my brains out for a little <laughs> bit. You know, it's called a rap party. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then, I'm gonna and then, tell yeah. this crew what I really think of them. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Ian and I have been some, sometimes in our, you know, Ian and I. I don't. We haven't talked about this on the podcast, but we've done we've done four movies together now, and there have been and, times and where. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And that would be times when I what? was going to say there have been times where we've, we've like gotten on the back of a grip truck and just, you know, addressed the crew and you know really <laughs> cheered with everybody, and it was just like we had the, the amazing you know locations and you know we shot great stuff and everyone was really happy to be there. It's a bond. Um, yeah. And then, and then there have been times where, you know, we have uh, a $20,000 lens go missing and, and nobody wants to look at you in the face. And, I know about and, that one. And so you're like, you know, so you, you, get, you get put in all these different kinds of situations. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you have to achieve the making of a fucking motion picture. And financially, you have worked your, yourself, yourself way up, um, which is where bring Ian in. Because I remember when you first started partnering up at Ian when I first met you. Um, you you took a unique approach, which I now consider. I guess maybe eventually it's not going to be that unique. But you started working uh, for YouTube or doing like YouTube stuff. Like that's kind of so your shift yeah. into production. Okay, so um, the the childhood story. Obviously, I'm in production. Um, uh, I get married. I take a break. Um, work in real estate and work in marketing, digital marketing. Okay. A- ended up working with a company that had an exclusive deal with Google and YouTube. We did all their brand channels. And this was in 2000, 
uh, I'm going to say 2007 to 2013. Now, is this still kind of the early years of brand marketing where they weren't quite sure what it is, but they knew they had to do it and they were trying to figure out their way to make get the greatest impact out of this brand marketing and yeah. the internet? Okay. This is before Maker, so Maker is not yet established. Okay. But this is with the, the founders of Maker are essentially making their name on YouTube. This is Maker Studios that Maker eventually Studios. sold for a boatload of money to Disney? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. So what we were doing is we were figuring out ways to marry um, content on YouTube to the Fortune 500 brands. Okay. So M&M's be coming out with a new coconut M&M, and they needed to look cool. So who's cool on YouTube? Well, at that time, Lisa Novak and The Station were cool on YouTube. And The Station was a comedy troupe. And what was so cool about YouTube is you could have an SNL-style career without having an SNL-style audition. So these kids were essentially just getting together, creating their own SNL shows. And that's the foundation of Maker. So I had a lot of experience packaging that stuff and seeing the, these co-branded sponsorships, what they look like when three and four different companies come together for one different experience on YouTube. So I did that for about six years, and I kind of got tired of pixel pushing. I was in an office pushing pixels all day, wanted to see people, caught up with Hunter. I call Andrew Hunter. His name is Andrew Hunt. So Ian, a uh, side note that we won't really cover today, but you are an amazing nicknamer. Thank you very much. He, he can throw about. He can give you seven nicknames in one conversation. That's you just, right. You just have to mark him down so he knows he's talking about you. All right, so continue. I need a little bit of time for John. Maybe next time. <laughs> uh, okay, so so yeah, so when in 2013, Andrew and I got together and I said, you know, what if we took what I know and what if we took what you know and we put together low budget independent films, high quality, and we set out to do that. Now I don't know that we've done that quite yet, but we've set out to do that. And but you've produced together and you've yeah. made stuff together and you've had the highs, and lows, absolutely. Which, but all. Again, I don't know of a film. Mm. I, I remember, I remember um, before I ever moved out here, and I used to, I used to subscribe to Entertainment Weekly magazine. Of like that was my like my insight to things. And I'll, I'll, I, know I, about I remember, entertainment. remember, if, and I'm, everybody knows because it was very public before Titanic ever came back. That yeah. was like the big. This is a disaster. The movie's being overspent. Everything is breaking down. That was the first time I think they pulled back the curtain and really talked about budgets and how it affects it. John is falling asleep. That's the couch thing is bad, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, we joked about this before the show. Um, but that, that you pull back the curtain and, the, and how that impacts a show and everything is a disaster. And everybody hates James Cameron and all this stuff, right? Mm. And that's when you first start to see that. So it does, the budget does not dictate the highs and lows. It really doesn't. You yeah. can have mass chaos on a $350 billion budget movie, and you can have it uh, well, on If anything, it's more devastating yeah. in the 350000 It's like... More more jobs are f- yeah. truly on the line. Absolutely. Like, you could never work again kind yeah. of stuff, the pressure of that. But say Jaws went over like 90 days, right? 90 days, you're on some movie with an animatronic shark, and you don't know if it's going to work, and it's Jaws. It's one of the biggest movies at the right. time. Right. But at the same time, you're an actor, you're like, this stupid fucking shark, this is a dumb movie. Because you everything looks so fake, fake to you. You're like... All right, like I can see, I I can imagine if I was Richard Dreyfuss being like, "What have I gotten my fucking self into?" Oh, he thought he fucked up. Yeah, yeah. They're on a boat with a fake shark. Then there's also those guys like read for what space opera for Han Solo. No, I'm not reading that. No, no, no. (laughs) That's stupid. But you know what's great about that? That made them do the best acting of their life because they knew they were fucked. They knew they were on a boat with an animatronic shark. Oh, dude, those performances are amazing. The shark breaking down is the best thing. Your cat just just opened the door. Yeah, it's a psycho. But the the shark not working was the best thing that happened to that movie. I think so. Absolutely. I think so. But I think what you guys nail is this, it's this grandiosity that comes with every movie. 
and it doesn't matter what your budget is. Like yeah. John said, if it's a hundred million dollars, it doesn't matter. It's got the same problem as the two hundred thousand dollar movie because all of them are trying to do. If you have two hundred thousand dollar budget, you're actually trying to make a two million dollar movie. If, if you, you have a million dollar budget, yeah, you're trying to make a ten million dollar movie. And that's the problem. And I think that that's what our experience has taught us is that now I'm getting into more of that Clint Eastwood approach, where it's like Clint he, he shoots a solid eight. He does an eight hour production day. Yeah. I would still like everyone on set if I did an eight-hour production day. Dude, eight-hour production day, if you could... I've never... I mean, Clint Eastwood, that's it. That's it's like a dream. It's, it's almost like a sacrilegious to talk about it. Like, only, maybe I'm going to get slapped by one of you later for the, talking about it. The only it. time it's ever happened to me is when like we, like we uh, I was working on a hidden camera show and the mark wasn't showing up and we just wrapped early. And that was <laughs> it because no one was coming. So I was like, all right, go home. I'm like, okay. So an unintentional eight-hour Oh, day. absolutely. Yeah. So we're trying to get more intentional about this eight-hour day because sustainability is super important. And at the end of the day, it's a creative business. And how creative are you when you've been working six 14-hour days in a row? Yeah, I don't know. I can't even figure out how to make eggs at that point. Yeah. So that's the journey we're on. And um, and, and I think it's been tough in L.A. because it's been so competitive. People are even trying to do more. Like what Brian did with Frozen Peas. Like, I don't know how many Frozen Peas you guys can make at that level without you dying early. That's, but again, my my approach to filmmaking goes back to, and I think you guys have the same ideology, and it goes the same thing of like John's career. You don't you don't want to stay at the same place. Your job is to continue to seek growth. Otherwise, you have to ask yourself, what am I doing this for? Like, if you want to stay at the same place, then you stay at the same place that Tom Cruise is at, which is like once you've you've plateaued or, or Adam Sandler. When you plateau, that's a good place to be because there's always good money and you have creative freedoms. Good or bad doesn't matter. You have creative freedoms. Right now, the drive is to always continue to build up. To me, making Frozen Peas is a step. It's a step. And, you know, I want I want to make bigger budget films. I want to be able to get my voice out there. Like, there's certain things that you want to be, be able to expose yourself on different levels and grow from there. I have no interest whatsoever, as I'm sure none of you guys do, at staying at the same level. It would bore me anyway. But creatively, I don't feel challenged anymore, and I would want to go on to the next thing. You know, that's. I would say there is probably some. There are some people in Hollywood that maybe like they're a line producer and they're like, "This is what I like. I like this job in particular." As long as it pays well, but if you're, it's paying a one fifty a day, well, then no, no but right, right. But the, <laughs> the idea is that they they get to that spot and it's like, I don't want to be an executive producer. I don't want any of that other. Pre- I, I like this, and then they can you know ride that out and be a great line producer and work all the time. That is yep. true. David Klein. Remember we shot that uh, the Better Man like uh, little teaser thing that we made for a movie that of mine that never got made. Yeah, remember that remember, yeah. and and the and the, the DP was David Klein. He did a lot of uh, um, Kevin Smith's movies and stuff like that. And David mm-hmm. Klein, I got to know him, and and I asked him. I said, you know, Dave, you do you want to direct Better Man? He goes, No, I actually, you know, because I just assume all cinematographers want to be directors. Want to be directors? Right. He's like, No, I actually really enjoy being behind the camera and setting up the shots and just being a cinematographer. And it was the first time I had seen somebody. Who I thought, well, he because he had that growth, and now he's out. You know, I don't know. I mean, he's shooting all sorts of amazing stuff now, and. And it's because he knew what he wanted, and it, yep. and his growth came from that, and he continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And now he's one of the most popular and successful, you know, DPs yeah, you'll, out here. You'll continue to yeah. try to get jobs in that with that that job that you love. You'll continue to try to do that and make it more money and more money. But I do think that they're like where where you saying like if I someone I got starting a movie tomorrow, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to want to start another one, and I'm going to want that one to be bigger, and you know what I mean. You're going to have that. Just growth, and I, and maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. I don't. It does. It's not like bigger, more money equals growth. It, it's. I guess with every project, you should try to grow as an artist as much as you can. 
And on that note, John's going to take a nap. <laughs> you got really sleepy. It's so funny. That's I'm worried about the new look here. The new look. But the new look. Uh, fucking first. The new of all, look is basically. Don't see the new. No, no. Look. I'm saying that, but the new look is a lot more couch and a lot, a lot less, a lot less chair. So by virtue of doing it on a couch, I want to lay down for the next. Yeah, show. Yeah, by virtue of there will be no, there'll be no next shows on the couch. This is what I've learned from this one here. No way. Dude. Yeah. But guys, I'm really glad. I know Andrew, you were worried about coming on this show, and I told you this is just a straight up conversation, man. This is oh, this like is great. we just your guys' life journey, sharing the Alpha Dog stuff is amazing. Ooh, your crazy. dad being involved in Canon Camera, it's like these little these little treats that people that that people in Iowa or Wisconsin or whatever they get to listen to this stuff and go, oh, that's pretty cool. Because I don't, I mean, my dad did some really cool stuff. He worked in studios, worked in Chicago, did that stuff. But to me, growing up, it was never Hollywood. It wasn't L.A., and I was always fascinated with that stuff. So it's it's those little stories, you know, even though your story was a little shitty in the early part with the alpha dog stuff. Is just, But that's real life, though, too. These things happen. Bittersweet. Um, and I got to, we got to find out what your tagger names are. And if I ever see that stuff out there, I'd be like, I'm just going to give a couple bumps. I need to talk to you. We don't feel worried because none of you guys can read it. So <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. That's fine. You're right. I can't. I just look like gibberish to me. I'm Johnny Old Man Pants. The only thing I'll say to you, and this is related to the to tie this into the Cubs thing before we go, is that there is a guy on the Cubs. I think I think his name is said Caesar, but if you look at the way oh, his dude, name is spelled, Z U C H R or something like that. His name is Caesar. It's wow. just like Caesar. Like there's like unlike Meta World Peace, that's where you go back to the fan and be like, we need to actually change it to the way it actually is let's said. Get, let's because, get phonetic up in here. Because I don't need to constantly be for the rest of my life explaining why I've just got random letters on the back of my jersey. It does yeah. look like someone's like just put a name together. So it looks like somebody literally gave up. They're like, I don't fucking know what his name is. It's not even it's not even worth it. It's just weird to me. Huh. But, you know, for you guys. So, Trix, really thanks for coming in. You're and, welcome. Um, and uh, and see, you were seen, and then you were something one, uh, not Trix one. You were... Uh, I, I was Bliss one. Bliss one. That was Bliss my, one. Yeah. And you couldn't remember? You did, did you ever have a second name, Bliss? One. Yeah, I did. I, I wrote when. Bliss and when. Those, okay. are, my, those are my what, two... What, how, spell my two when? Tag, W-H-E-N. Oh, like, you actually like, went, when, you went literal. Legit, okay. With a question mark. <laughs> Don't fuck around, Brian. No, yeah, dude. <laughs> the question mark was big. If you could tie in punctuation, it didn't even have to match up. If you could just get oh, a punctuation yeah, just in there. Just an upside down explanation did, point, and, and, dude. And last question to wrap it up with your tag names. Did, did, did you have a specific spray paint color that was affiliated with the name Ooh. itself, or was it all black? Was, was it all just, marker? Or did it not matter? Did color matter when, when it came to your name? No, because, dude, I was such a wannabe. It was it was just, you know, you, you got whatever kind of can of paint you could get. But the thing was is that... There was a stage where you went through a fat cap stage. So you would go around, you get different caps. Okay. So some of them would be wide tip, some of them would be a little bit thinner, you know, and uh, you would you would go around as, as a kid collecting different types of caps uh, and interchange. So the color didn't Meaning really the matter. cap that you put on the actual spray paint itself. Precisely. Now, yeah. when you guys first learned how to spray paint, did you guys do it backwards and spray yourselves in the face? Because you had no idea how to use a spray paint can. And that's when you learned... My did God, you guys really... grow up in a sitcom or a cartoon <laughs> of some kind? Hey, man, I stapled my uh, a glove to my hand because I, I, I held Brian the stapler the wrong way. grew up in a way. Three Stooges short. It's okay, everybody. Don't worry about it. Brian no. grew up in the movie Black Sheep with Chris Farley and David Spade. No spray paint malfunctions for us, but yeah, it wasn't the color, it was the tip. That was the important thing. Yeah, yeah, just, just the tip. tip. Yeah, just the tip. tip. That's if we learned seen, anything. Seen and Bliss One don't have no fucking trouble with the <laughs> tips. They get the tips in all the time. Oh, guys, thank you so much for visiting. Make us uh, thank you guys for having us. Make for us Ben's room. Thank you so much for Ben's us. getaway room. 
It's been a pleasure. Censor anything that sounds inappropriate. No. Oh, how dare you? No. We, we, we've had that problem. <laughs> we definitely have. <laughs> Unreleased episodes that I've yet to have to go into and edit. Speaking of post-production, that one's uh, there's a few that I've had to do some serious post-production on. Post. Awesome. Well, I'd love to be on another five-hour show anytime no. in the future. Oh, no. guys, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you, John. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, if we talked about Christie's questions or whatever, we'll get to them next show for sure. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs>